Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a wholly remarkable book. Perhaps the most remarkable, certainly the most successful book ever to come out of the great publishing corporations of Ursa Minor. More popular than the Celestial Home Care Omnibus, better selling than 53 More Things to Do in Zero Gravity, and more controversial than Oolong Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters, Where God Went Wrong, Some More of God's Greatest Mistakes, and Who Is This God Person Anyway? It's already supplanted the Encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom for two important reasons. First, it's slightly cheaper. And second, it has the words, Don't Panic, printed in large, friendly letters on its cover. Carbon-based bipedal life forms of all types and varieties. Uh, this is the Rick Emerson radio program. It is two minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and it's the month of October in the year of our Lord, 2007. Thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not only ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Cavalcade of Whimsy. Uh, it is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming by. We're here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Uh, we are uh, glad you're there. It's uh, 503-733-2970 today. 503-733-2970. Your comments, your clarifications, your kvetches, your two cents, your uh, your tidbits, your what have you. It's 503-733-2970. Our good friend Christopher Scott standing by in the stead of Scotty J. Scotty came to see me today to drop off his final time card. Just, just had the beaten, broken look in his eyes. Did he look hungover? You know, he was just going off to buy himself like a hostess fruit pie and weep to himself silently in the cab of his overpriced truck. I'm sorry. Is it too soon? <laughs> no. Do we have a Scotty J buffer zone? What? I don't know what that like means. If he, like if he realizes buffer. that he made a terrible mistake no. until next week? No. No. No, that time has passed. I gave him a day. I have to turn in my notice, I said. You have a day to reconsider. So, that's it. Done. Finished. Gone. Out. Tacked. Gone. Fired. Do we still have the uh, Richard Quest doing that? Out. Gone. Sacked. Yes. Fired. Done. Right across his posterior. Right, close enough. Thank you. Anywho. Uh, so, anyway, Christopher Scott is standing by back in uh, the hovel formerly occupied by Scotty J. Ready to pass along your calls about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the somewhere in between, the just plain indefinable. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. If you'd like to be part of today's uh, excursion into uh, amusement, 503-733-2970. You've got that look on your face like you're trying to, trying no, to locate I just, something. I was looking for something, and then I got distracted by something that I haven't seen in a really long time. You want to hear what I found? So many observations I could make about that. I don't know. What is, what is it? Some people say oh, that yeah. I'm a bad guy. Well, we're never going to play that again. Let's bring it on people later. Okay. I don't try. 
All right. Did you not bleep it? <laughs> no, I did. It's just it's just the tiniest bleep on earth, though. I've always oh, felt okay. bad about it. I've always That's felt. Why I knew there had to be a reason. I've always felt bad. It was not just that. It's just that I've always felt bad though that it, that in the Saddam watcher that bleep was just so. Really, that is if you orally it really blink. It really is actually. If you were to blink your ears for just a nanosecond, you won't even hear it. Anyway. Now, we used to have Richard Quest doing the out, gone, sacked, fired. And I think, actually, the last day we played, that was the... I think that was the day they, they fired us at Intercom. I think, ironically enough, or appropriately enough, as the case may be, the final day we played, that was the day that they gave us all our crap and kicked us out the door at Intercom. Thanks. I came across the, uh, the video for our last listener party before we got fired. At, uh, at the Viper Room, which is itself no longer gone. You know, let me just tell you, this is the only business more unstable than radio is being a bar owner. Because occasionally I'll drive by some sort of drinking establishment where you've had some kind of gathering. And, man, I think the Viper Room, not, not the fabled River Phoenix death spot in Los Angeles, but the place on Hawthorne where we had listener party eight... Which is the one, the day they, that was the week they fired Sarah and the week before they fired us. It was a live broadcast. It was a live broadcast. Actually, I think the only... That was fun. I think that's the, I think that's one of only two live broadcasts we have ever done. The other one being that hideous abortion where Tim and I were standing outside of Safeco Field for some godforsaken reason. That was bad. Well, whatever. Anyway, so, but I drove by the Viper Room the other day, and I think that's actually been two different bars since it stopped being the Viper Room. And that's only like two and a half years ago. I mean, it's like every, because didn't Outlaws just close, too? I think Outlaws is gone. Oh, by the way, now that Outlaws is closed, remind me to tell you a great story about the... Remind me to tell you a great story about Outlaws later. I can't do it now. I don't have time. Uh, but, because uh, I got all this whatnot to get to. But later on, remind me to tell you a great, uh, a great outlaw story that I was actually just repeating to somebody the other night. And I realized that I could now tell it because they were no longer a paying sponsor. I can now. <laughs> so I can. Well, a sponsor anyway. <laughs> good, good catch. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, so I can now wash their lingerie in public. We'll do that later. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You want to email, you can do that as well. My chums, my amigos, my compadres, my companions. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Uh, Sarah at 970.am or Tim at 970.am. Uh, All right, here's what's coming up today. We have seen on radio correspondent James Roop. There was something in the air today. Inhaling some sort of thunderclap Newman. Uh, James Rupel joined us today from Los Angeles, where apparently, I guess everything in California is on fire. And I'm, I'm never really sure whether it's the same story as last year and they're just rolling it out with a new timestamp or whether he's there. You would think if he was savvy, he would just be, you know, he would just, like, you figure, if, if that guy rented a weekend... Uh, worth of studio time. He could just record the next five or six years uh, worth of, you know, the, everything is ablaze, the draw, the humanity, everything is on fire. Because it happens every single year in a state where you don't really think there's anything even to burn. I mean, it's just an, California is just an entire state made out of concrete and hatred. And so uh, the, the fact that there's anything there that can even still catch a blaze is sort of a miracle in and of itself. Um... Anyway, so uh, Jim Roop will uh, join us later on. I think Brittany got her kids back. I think they restored her, her custody at le- or her visitation at least one day a week. Because she had it, then they took it away, and I think she's got it again. Boy, she looks bad, though. I saw a photograph, not to, to get off into the Brittany thing right away. I saw a photograph of her walking down the street yesterday. It's like on TMZ or something. And I mean, 
She really looked like George Romero should have been chasing her with some fire and something to cut off her head. I mean, it was just so unbelievably bad. And so I now have arrived at the conclusion that when it comes to Britney, we have just been hoodwinked this whole time. That she never really was attractive. And they were just sort of able to... You know, to just sandblast enough makeup and, and, and gray lensing onto her all of this time that they just sort of had us fooled. Uh, we'll talk to uh, <clears throat> CNN Radio uh, uh, correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, uh, who will join us uh, later on today from New York City. CNN Radio, for some reason, not covering the GOP debate last night, but that's okay. It's not like it's the future of our country that's at stake. It's not like it's something I could make all kinds of amusing comments about. Not like it's all kinds of political grist for the Rick Emerson mill. That's okay. You don't worry about it. I'll go ahead and cover. We don't need CNN to do it. Uh, what else? Peter Carlin will join us from The Oregonian today. Uh, he'll be with us at uh, 2 o'clock. We'll talk to our good friend Richie Bristol, who visited uh, Hysteria City, which I swear to God, they're an advertiser of ours. <clears throat> so I mean the people that did it last the. I don't think so. I think they're new. I don't think Hysteria City was here last year. I think that they are a. I think they're a new haunted house. Now I may be wrong about that. Now if I'm wrong, I apologize. But I, every time I don't know if it's intentionally supposed to sound like an electronic store. But every time I hear the Hysteria City, I, I have to sort of cock my head and sort of work it around inside my brain because it sounds like Judge Reinhold and ruthless people trying to tell you the Dominator X10 stereo that's about the, the, the 75 feet high. Anyway, so Hysteria City, which is, they are that haunted house that advertises, I swear to God it says this in the copy, they advertise, quote, heavy metal, chainsaws, and meat. And we had a guy who called up last week who actually is one of the chainsaw wielders at the haunted house. I do have this phrase, though. This is the phrase from Alan Gabrowski, uh, account executive extraordinaire who represents Hysteria City. He was describing the experience of the haunted house, and I swear to God, this is what he said in the promo meeting last week. He said, you don't really ever think this phrase is going to come up in any sort of like a department head meeting in a major corporation. He said, you know, they, and this is in a room full of like white shirted men wearing ties. Alan, while discussing the Hysteria City haunted house, said, They've had a couple of peers already this year. And then you go to write down the word peers and you realize that it's exactly like peers. As in a jury of one's peers. Did you only put two E's in there? How many? How would you spell peers? I think I'd put three. Peers? That doesn't make any sense. I tried I using three. I my three E peers. I tried to... Okay. I tried using three E's and then I scratched one of them out. I scratched the third one out and I went back to just spelling it the same as peer. It's not a word that they really... They don't prepare you for this challenge in school. When you're going to elementary school, they don't prepare you for such linguistic hurdles. Uh, so Richie Bristol went there, I think, over the weekend, though. So we will talk to him and see if he was one of the, uh, the aforementioned peers. We've got a monkey watch today, geek watch. Uh, I believe... We have a double geek watch, but I'm not entirely sure about that. And uh, as we plunge headlong into the search for the new Scotty J, uh, we will count down the top five new songs today. Uh, the top five new songs. So we'll get to uh, all of that, um, plus a big pile of a big pile of other crap. Oh, and 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 uh, two other things. A. Am I the only one who's heard this this uh, the horrific Van Halen disaster that happened over the weekend? Oh, it's fantastic. It's just, it's so wonderful. I mean, it's just one of those things that you watch and you just get little shivers of evil joy viewing it. So we'll play that later on. It's, the audio is not pristine because it came off, um, 
I mean, it's pretty good for cell phone camera audio. It's not that great, but I'll set it up sufficiently so that you understand exactly what's going on. There was like just the most the most gratifying Van Halen implosion on stage over the weekend. I think it was in Michigan somewhere. Uh, so we'll talk to that, and we uh, talk about that, and we are giving away copies of American Gangster uh, Season 1. Wait, I have copy points. Hold on. Let me read the copy points for that. Hold on. Don't go anywhere. Uh... American Gangster. Apparently they are the gangsters everyone is talking about. BETs, because nothing says BET giveaway like the Rick Emerson Show. From Black Entertainment Television, the Rick Emerson Show is proud to give away the critically acclaimed crime docudrama American Gangster on DVD. This hard-hitting series features true crimes with real consequences. The complete first season hits streets on October 23rd, only from BET Home Entertainment. That sounds kind of awesome. And the Rick Emerson Show. I think it's narrated by Ving Rhames. It actually looks pretty badass. I myself will be keeping a copy of that. So later on today, not now. You bastard. Later on today, uh, when you hear Tim Riley say, oh, is my computer up? Yes. Really? Uh-huh. It's playing right now. Why is there no audio? I can see the audio on my screen. Oh, damn it. You know that? You know what that is? That's instant karma from me saying that I was going to keep a copy of it myself. Later on today, when you hear Tim Riley use the magical phrase, Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> Could that be louder? That is Tim, to say, did you hear that? Later on today. I'm wearing his headphones. No, no. I recorded it. Tim, he, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to hear it, Sarah. He lived it. Uh, later on today. I did it several times before I got it just the right voice. When you hear Tim Riley say, "Damn, it feels good to be a gangster," you'd be caller nine. <laughs> Not now, but later. That is to say, later when Tim Riley says, "Damn, it feels good to be a gangster." Um, later, not so much gangster. No, it's gangster. Gangster. Well, other people say gangster. Tim says gangster. Don't correct him. How did you say it? Part of my street credentials. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. His street, street credentials. Credential. My street identification. <laughs> my government issued state street credentials. They ought to sell that. They ought to totally sell, Here's like as a, as a as a dorky uh, as a dorky hipster gag gift street credentials that you can then take out and you can show people and it certifies that you are a Mac in training and also a plus five player. You 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 have plus five player and pimping skills. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Don't call. Uh, but we play that later. Uh, when you hear that later on, ladies and gentlemen, you be calling number nine. You want a copy of uh, American Gangster season one from BET Paramount Home Entertainment. All right, five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We're joined today, as are we always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X Dylan. Why, hello. Hello. How are you? Good. I went and saw uh, Thirty Days of Night this okay, weekend. Okay. Now I tried to see that. I tried to do all kinds of things this weekend, and you know, you know how many of them played out? Yeah, none. Zero. None of them. So my wife went to see that new Affleckian crime drama, The Gone, oh, Gone Baby, Baby Gone, Gone, which she liked a lot. Uh, she went to see it with a bunch of, uh, I don't know, she has this whole weird, this whole weird sewing slash kvetching circle of friends of hers that I choose not, this whole pecking party that she hangs out with that I choose not to associate with. But I, she went to see it, and she thought that was really great. The plan was for her to go see the Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck thing, and then I was going to go see 30 Days a Night, and then neither of those things, I didn't see either or either of them. So how was it? Was it good? It was really good. Was it scary? Um, Yeah. I mean, it was more gory than it was scary. It's a lot It's, it's a lot of that same, you know, like, things popping out. See, like, I hate see that. that. That's just like the lowest form of filmmaking to yeah. me, is the, just the, the cat jumping into frame out of nowhere. Um, the, the cinematography was beautiful. The creatures themselves were just 
freaky. Okay. I mean, very, 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 um, like, uh, like comic looking. I don't know, very cool, very scary. And it's, um, you have this, like, this weird sense of dread throughout the entire thing, because usually in the movies, you know, you just wait for the morning the next day. Sure. And it's just like, it just keeps on going and keeps on going. It's like day 21. It's like, oh my god, just be light already. Kill now, them. where would you, where would you rank, uh, 30 Days of Night as compared with, let's say, The Descent? The Descent scared me more. Really? Well, yeah, The Descent. Uh, there was a lot of popping out, a lot of blood. It wasn't really scary so much as it was startling. Right. Yeah, see, and I, startling is just... Startling, I get a little bit of that goes a long way with me. Yeah. Uh, the, but the, the actors were all great. The creatures were really freaky looking. Right. Uh, just covered in blood and their little sharp pointy teeth and just ripping. I mean, it was just ripping people apart. Okay. Well, okay. There's something to be said for that. Tim especially is a fan of those kinds of things. Uh, well, I tried to see that uh, failed. I tried to see the Ben Affleck thing. I failed. And then I was going to try to see the new George Clooney film, and I also failed at that. So Did I you got... ride your bike today? No. No, I also... Fa- thank you. Thanks for pointing out another shortcoming. I wasn't feeling quite bad enough about myself. Uh, I also failed at that. So I really accomplished a whole lot of... Uh, I accomplished Jack this weekend is actually what I accomplished. I finished the season the season two uh, the West Wing box set. That's it. Done. Well, I watched the whole first season of Heroes. Uh, see, you're not going to watch that. That's See, here's the thing. I'm finishing the West Wing, and we'll return to this in a second. I'm mm. finishing up. I finished up the West Wing season two. I got to finish season three of Battlestar Galactica. I got like ten episodes left. And then, don't call now, uh, i got to find another TV show to watch. And I don't know what it's going to be. So at some point, we'll have, you know, we'll have the people weigh in on that. That time is not now. Don't call. Uh, Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification today. A Washington man drowns while golfing. Kid Rock is arrested following a Waffle House brawl. Okay, let me just interrupt right now. And I know that we'll talk about this whole story later. But can I tell you, when I saw that headline, I immediately ran around the building and found about four different people to make this observation to. That the headline, Kid Rock arrested in brawl at Waffle House, is both sad, hilarious, and strangely inevitable. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I was to tell you right now, look, a rock and roll star has been arrested following a brawl at a waffle establishment, you would you don't even need to... I mean... I mean, you could, with three brain cells, you can figure out who that is. It's sort of like when he married Pam Anderson, and that was just sort of inevitable. I remember not even really knowing that he and Pam Anderson were engaged. They just sort of got married, and I just kind of went, well, all right. It was just sort of as it should be. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Where was I? I don't know. Start again. A Washington man drowns while golfing. Kid Rock is arrested following a Waffle House brawl. The nation is on edge praying for the residents of Malibu. The prayers have worked so far since Mel Gibson's home has been spared. Thank God. Another big fire is broken out in San Diego. 40,000 acres have burned there. And, be, you know, some of, for some of you, L.A. isn't the center of the world. It is New York. And therefore, we have stories there for you, too. A uh, TV soap opera doctor sends New Yorkers to a real-life hospital by beating them in the street. <laughs> I'm sorry. Beating is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, taxi drivers are on strike in New York. And stagehands, too. Uh, the president wants $46 million more for wars. And a politician is killed by a horde of wild monkeys. Well, okay, then. Uh, there you go. It's 503-733-2970. All that coming up, plus uh, Jim Roop, Steve Castabon, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian, who will now... Did you watch the Mad Men season finale? I did. All right. What say ye? Can I talk about it? Yes. No, it's, 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 it's like five days old. They haven't watched it. It's their problem. It was terrific. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. 
So how messed up is that wife of his, though? Yeah. Just that was she sitting, sitting talking to that weird bucktooth kid who's missing his whole upper row? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I let me. And I'm not going to go on and on about it because I went on substantially on Friday. So I and I'll talk to uh, Peter Carlin about it later. I'm just going to say this. I don't understand the whole deal. There's two things about that show. My wife and I uh, watched it at different times. We didn't watch it at the same time. But on Friday night, I went home, and Laura was there, and I said, did you watch Mad Men, the season finale? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down on a piece of paper the best scene, and then I'm going to write down the scene that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I said, you do the same, and then we. this is what I do for fun at my home. And then we will swap papers, and we will see if our answers match. And our answers didn't match, um, because she was all perplexed by the thing of Don Draper's wife talking to the, the toothless kid. Uh-huh. While my whole issue seemed to be, how is it that what's-her-name Peggy could not know that she was pregnant? That's what I couldn't think I about. mean, they just go the entire season. I mean, she was getting larger, but I sort of assumed that she was just, you know, porking up, because that's I mean, what she I'm does. I'm surprised that she didn't get amnesia if they're going to do that. <laughs> and, then, and then an identical twin showed up from somewhere, and then they had to put her in cryosleep. Uh-huh. But, I mean, at the end of the you've been following the character the entire season, and then literally in the last five minutes of the season finale, bam, I'm pregnant, here's a baby. I mean, it just it is the very definition of a deus ex machina. It just made, like, less than no sense. Mm-hmm. Unless it's supposed to be some sort of weird, overarching... I, 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 unless it's supposed to be some kind of allegory for how the 60s were sexually repressed or something, mm-hmm. and how oh, she, she had okay. sex at one point, but wasn't quite sure about the correlation between sex and birthing, and, 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 and then the baby just appeared. So it's all very confusing. But let me just say this. How great was that speech where he's pitching the, uh, the carousel? That is, did I not, uh, that was the thing I referenced on Friday when I said it was the single best scene of the season. I mean, that and, is... Well, I think it's because that we were somewhat in the advertising world and can identify with those things. Like, he was right on the mark. Oh, it's... Uh, it, it was unreal. And, and it is called the carousel. I mean, but doesn't it make you want to go back and figure out exactly how that carousel really did get its name, if that's how they did it? I'm sorry, what was I thinking? All right. Did I just spend 35 minutes talking about getting a collection of pink hair and your fingernails? Yeah, it was kind of creepy. All right. Fantastic. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up today, we'll also read... I have a fascinating email about the Tiger to Winco. And, uh... There you go. Let's see. Oh, and I got a bunch of, uh... Okay. Let me just say... Well, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I'm just going to say that I'll do that later. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Program. From New York City... CNN radio correspondent Steve Kassenbaum. Hello, sir. How are you? Doing good. Got my voice back. Oh, yeah. You sound much better. Thank you. You know, did did you have that whole, uh, like, crudding up of the lungs going on? Exactly. Because that's no good. We had a, there was a guy down the hallway that had that, and the thing in radio is, is that people are always, you know, d- 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 God bless them, they're so devoted to their jobs that they come in even when they are spewing uh, d- sort of infected virus cells into the air everywhere they go with every hacking cough. We do. Yeah. So <laughs> especially, and they're half inch away from a microphone that everybody else then has to use. So you know, just, we're afraid to lose our vacation days. We don't want to. We don't want to. You know, we want to save all those days for something personal and fun. Yes. Who wants to use a day off for when you're sick? Exactly. Also, we're also afraid of losing our jobs. That's the other thing we're afraid of losing. They, right. If you'll notice this, and I've made this observation about Jay Leno as opposed to Johnny Carson. You remember, the, but the, by the end of Carson's reign on late night television, that guy was working, I believe, three days a week. 
uh, three days a week, like 30 weeks a year, because Monday was a guest host, I think, and then Tuesday was the best of Carson. It might have, I might have a backward. But Monday and Tuesday were both something other than Johnny Carson being there live. Uh-huh. And then Carson was there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I th- and I think he was off like every third week or something. It was just it was crazy. It's a great gig if you can get it. Oh man! It, but if you'll notice now, uh, it, 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 it would, do any of the late night guys do guest hosts at this point? I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't think they do because I think that they all fear uh, the Joan Rivers, uh, you know, the Hamilting uh, that happened to uh, to Johnny because Joan Rivers would come in and she was his go-to guest of choice. And then the next thing you know, she was launching that uh, that, that abysmal late-night talk show for us. And I think they're all afraid that if they go on vacation at this point and somebody fills in, you know, you get Dane Cook to come host for you for a night or two, and then you come back and it's the Dane Cook show and your stuff's in a box on the back lot. <laughs> right. So, yeah, anyway, so that's we all have that same sort of ailment, though. So we, we come to work every day, uh, rain or shine, unlike, check the segue, uh, all of these guys on Broadway who are going on uh, going on strike. Uh, this doesn't affect me, but it affects you because a huge section of your tourist economy is Broadway, right? Yeah, here's the deal. These guys are members of the Stagehands Union, and over the weekend they unanimously voted to authorize a strike, but they're not going out on strike just yet. They're, they're looking at sometime in December at the deadline, which is kind of weird because the theater uh, producers and owners uh, gave them what they said was their final offer, last week i believe and they haven't met since so it doesn't look like there's much more negotiating going on yet the union guys are saying well we'll, we'll still negotiate for a while but here, here's something that's going to blow your mind these stagehands uh, on broadway this is according to the theater owners not not their union so i don't i don't know how true this is but they say they can make upwards of $200,000 a year. Anybody who makes that kind of money has no right complaining about bitching, about grousing about or kvetching about anything on earth ever at all under any <laughs> circumstances. Seriously. They, you, you should tell them that the, uh, the assembled opinion of, uh, and the considered viewpoint of uh, CBS Radio is that they can eat it. <laughs> I mean, really, honestly. Let me, here's, okay, you know what they should do? Here's a great idea. This is one of those ideas that I come up with, I don't know, probably every two, three days. I'm going to give the idea to you. You may give the idea to whomever you wish. There ought to be a Broadway musical about all the Broadway folks going on strike. <laughs> okay. You know that's a great idea. Uh, I mean, well, they did Chorus Line, and look what a success that was. That's what I'm saying. So there ought to be some whole, and I don't know what you would call it. You'd call it like, uh, God, it seems like there's some brilliant idea that's just, just out, of, out of reach, title-wise. Okay, it'll come to me. Okay. Um, but there really ought to be uh, some Broadway musical just about these stagehands uh, going and walking the picket line somewhere. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then you get, uh, you know, you get some guy to write it, and then you, uh, and then you stick in a puppet or two, and then it's a hit. They did, a, they did a musician strike a few years ago that I covered, and most of the houses that kept their shows up did it with the pre-recorded soundtracks. So they kept having the show, they just didn't have the live orchestra. And that went on for about three or four days before they finally reached an agreement. The guys on Broadway get paid a lot of money. They get paid really well, and it's what you attain... You know, it's what you strive to be if you're in if you're in that field. You know, it's it's the best of the best. But uh, what you hear is that you know a show may only last for six months, and then the other six months you're out of work. Oh, so me a river out or something like that. Have you noticed this? That the people who do have the most high-profile strikes in this country and the strikes that do seem to get the most attention are the strikes from people who have absolutely no business complaining about anything. I think. Isn't there some big writers' strike going on in Hollywood right now? Didn't that just start today? 
Oh, is, it, is there one going on now? I think there's some Writers Guild strike. Drudge had some headlines screaming about it. You know, the, the guys who sit there and they, they crank out the two and a half men script or whatever the hell that is. You know, the guy, the guy who writes King of Queens, yeah. you know, is sitting out there on the picket line because he's being treated shoddily, apparently. And just, I mean, it's, I, I, you know, I've been searching my heart for just one tiny cell of sympathy, and it's just, I'm coming up blank on yeah, that. So, life, it really it, is. Really, honestly. Yeah. Um, a couple other things. A, speaking of pre-recorded tracks, this is completely off the point. Have, are you a Van Halen fan? Uh, yeah. Have you have you heard have you heard this audio uh, from this Van Halen show that happened over the weekend? I think it was in Michigan. No, I didn't. The last thing you played for me were the the isolated vocal. Tracks. Oh, the David Lee Roth vocal David tracks, uh, which are which are really great. Those those really are wonderful. Let's hear one of those right now, shall we? <laughs> yeah. I found the simple life. <laughs> What's so simple? No. When I jumped out of the road, ain't got no love, no love you'd call real, no, ain't got nobody waiting at home, no, I, I, I'm, God damn it, baby, no, I ain't lying to you, I'm only gonna tell you one time, I, I, see baby, better pay attention. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That, that sounds like the real one. That What's sounds, that? That sounds like that might be the actual one that was used. Let me just tell you this, because I am a big uh, high-fidelity tool. I sat there in my driveway the night that I got this CD, and I haven't, I still haven't played it on it, because every time, that'll happen again now, and I understand why, but every time I play one of those, my inbox just fills up. Uh, with a million uh, sort of John Cusackian guys who were like, dude, you have to get me a copy of that David Lee Roth audio. And I, awesome. and I said, you know, like I, I can play it, but I, the guy who gave it to me probably doesn't want me just sort of copying it for everybody, you know, so I can play it on the air, but I, I, I can't just like be giving it out to everybody because I think he, you know, he, he kind of doesn't want it widely spread. Um, but... Um, but it's just it's just fantastic. But I sat there in my car listening to I think it's like a 34 minute CD of just nothing but acapella takes um, from the original Van Halen sessions. And I really there were times when I, I would think to myself I'm like, aha, that's it, that's a keeping take right there, that's a gold take. And then you know two three minutes later I would hear something else that I was convinced was actually the gold take. So with Roth it was just so hard to tell. I mean some of it is just. Some of it is just flat crazy. I didn't know that that little whistle thing he does at the end actually made it onto the album of Running with the Devil. I've never heard it. I have to go listen back now and see if I can pick it out. Apparently it's there, and I gotta, I've heard I've listened to Running with the Devil probably ten thousand times, but for some reason I have never noticed that little whistle sound he does. But somebody told me it was there. It, I. I would play it for you now, but down the phone, you probably wouldn't be able to hear it. Um, I'll post it at rickemerson.com later today for you to see. But there was this Van Halen concert that happened, um, and I think it was Friday, and I might be wrong about the location. It was like Michigan or South Carolina, someplace I don't care about. And they were playing, and they go to play Jump. And for whatever reason, they decided uh, not to have a live keyboardist. They just had a backing track of, you know, that... Nah, you know, that main keyboard riff from Jump. So they're rolling out this backing track to Jump, but it's either at the wrong pitch or it's playing back a little too fast or if it's like on a dab, like one of the settings is wrong. Something is wrong with the backing track. 
and it's off just enough that Eddie Van Halen can't find at all any way to play along with it. Oh my God! And so you've got you've got this backing track, and then you've got Roth, but then the bass and the guitar are completely out of tune. And if you watch the video, you can see Eddie Van Halen repeatedly running around from one speaker to another, and then occasionally over to the bass player, desperately trying to figure out why his guitar sounds so terrible. And it's because the keyboard is like somehow between notes, and so he can't just transpose it on the fly. Anyway, the result of it is it's like three minutes of just sheer like eardrum bleeding awfulness. Wait a minute, they actually played through the whole. And song? they continued. That's the thing is, for better or worse, uh, I mean, they they just you know they they just stuck with it. Like the show must go on. And it is very uh, it is very appropriate, by the way, that the only person uh, who still sounds great for the entire song is Roth because he is so clearly off on his own planet of egotistic I am a god, uh, you know, coolness. Right. Like he clearly does not notice the backing track. Probably doesn't even realize that there are other musicians on stage with him, because in his head it is always just the David Lee Roth show when everybody else is just a fly speck in the in his periphery. Um, but anyway, you, I'll post. It on my uh, on my blog. You got to check it out. You they Whoa. suffer through four and a half minutes Oof. of completely out of tune keyboard wow. backing. Oh, it, it really is gold because I guess there is some sort of law that you just don't ever stop a song. You know what's weird about that though? That song. Remember when it came out? And it was such a big deal that Eddie Van Halen was playing the keyboard for oh, the yeah. first time. It was like. Are Van Halen selling out because you know he's he's going pop because he's putting a keyboard in you know and, and that was such a big deal. So the fact that that he doesn't even have somebody playing the keyboard for real. Well, yeah, but it's not even. I mean, that it's not even a real keyboard now. It's a backing tape. And speaking of that, let me tell you that the backing tapes. And I'm not just talking about in terms of Milli Vanilli. Backing tapes are just screaming. Uh, that's just screaming for some sort of a some sort of an accident, some sort of a. Yeah. Like, I went to see uh, Aerosmith. Uh, I don't know, it was years ago on the Pump tour, and if you know that song "Love in an Elevator," yeah. there's that whole acapella ending where they do that, you know, living it up while I'm going down, and they're all harmonizing at that point. And it wasn't really a, a foul up so much it was as it was that if you were a keen-eyed observer, you would have noted that uh, you would have noted that uh, Joey Kramer, the drummer. When they did the acapella ending, you could clearly hear Joey Kramer harmonizing, even though he was in the process of running from the drum kit to the microphone at the foot of the stage. I've seen that before. I've seen them do that. And, yeah, it's so obvious that it's a, it's taped. Right. Because, yeah. yeah, he's running out and he's still singing. Yeah, he was absolutely nowhere near a microphone. Voice coming through loud and clear. Uh, my final thought on backing tapes uh, is that... One of the most disheartening moments of my life, and I'm not really sure whether it was a backing tape or whether it was just some sort of a thing he was doing with an effects pedal, but I do believe it was a tape, was when I saw ACDC in 1991, and they played the song Thunderstruck, and there's that weird, um, that little spidery riff that plays at the beginning that just continues throughout the song, mm -hmm. and... There were lots of times when I could hear that riff continuing to play in the background, even when, like, you looked at Malcolm and Angus Young, and their hands were nowhere near the neck of the guitar. Like, they would stop to sort of point at the audience to go, like, yeah, rock! And both, it was like the greatest Spinal Tap moment, both hands raised in the air, completely nowhere near the guitar, riff continuing to play at full volume from, you know, somewhere. That's just wrong. And at those moments, that's when we all kind of go, well, we as a crowd are not going to acknowledge this. We, we are going to suspend our disbelief en masse at this moment. <laughs> you know, there's another uh, uh, backing tape, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, a, an isolated vocal track tape that's out there somewhere. I haven't heard it online in a long time. 
but uh, some sound guy isolated the microphone of, of Linda McCartney oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, during a wing thing, and you hear how flat she is. Oh, it's awful. Singing. Yeah. And it's Hey Jude that right. she's singing, and it's a lot of like, Hey Jude. Yeah. And uh, this, by the way, uh, John Lennon, I think, took uh, a lesson from that, because that Linda McCartney backing tape is so notorious and so bad that actually when Lennon was doing the last concert of his career, like that Live in New York City era, which is like 79 and 80, he just like flat out unplugged Yoko Ono's keyboard and her microphone. <laughs> like he just, I mean, I've seen interviews with stagehands where like, yeah, John John came to us and said, yeah, just turn plug, unplug the lot, you know? So Yoko is back there, God bless her, is shrieking her, shrieking her lungs out out and pounding on a keyboard that is being heard by no one. So. <laughs> well, the whole thing about Linda McCartney tape was that uh, the sound guy said that he was he was pumping the vocal to her her floor monitor so she could hear it, so she would think that she's going through the system. And oh, it, yeah. But nobody else in the arena would hear her. No, of course not, because, you know, I mean, look, you don't pay $45 to be kicked in the cochlea. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we will speak with you soon. Thanks a lot. All right, there you go. See you in radio correspondent. Steve Castabon. Fantastic. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. Coming up, Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth, James Roop, Top 5, Peter Carlin, and more. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. We are back after this. Radio program. Do I sound like Mr. Ed when I say that? No, you don't sound a bit like Mr. Ed. All right, thank you. That's that's kind of you to say, it, Tim Riley. Whether it's true or not. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Tim Riley, the Minister of Truth. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM nine seventy Solid State Radio. And now from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A man drowns while golfing. Apparently, he slipped and fell into a golf course pond in Ridgefield over the weekend. Uh, the man, who uh, they're not naming, was in his 50s. He's Korean. He was golfing with his son at Tri Mountain Golf Course when he fell into a pond. It's a man-made water hazard at the 14th hole. Now, where where was this? In uh, Ridgefield, Which Washington. Is, uh, where is Ridgefield? Where where is That's north of the Coup? <laughs> so they're trying to say rural. Okay. North of the Coup. All right. You keep going. Eventually, you do come to it. Uh, we think it was an accident. They say the man's clubs were scattered around the water's edge, leading us to think he may have slipped. Oh, I wonder if he had the. Well, first of all, I don't golf, as ye might have deduced. But how deep is a pond at a golf course? I mean, I guess deep enough, as my mom was constantly... My mom, who would just find ways to scare you with things that were fundamentally innocuous, mm-hmm. my mom was fond of reminding me for some reason that I could choke in a ladle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Looking back at that, it seems like kind of a threat, choke doesn't it? On a, choke on a <laughs> no, in a ladle. Oh. Because because I was not tremendously fond of water as a child. Uh, deep water kind of freaked me out. I'm still not really crazy about it. No, um, 
But when I was a kid, I had a, 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 almost a crippling phobia of deep water when I was a child. And uh, But my mom, this is really messed up now that I think about it. My mom would continually remind me that I could choke in much less than, you know, like a swimming pool. She'd go, you know, you could drown in a ladle full of water. And she would sort of look at me. Now that I think about it, I wonder if she was just trying to instill fear in me or keep me in line or let me know that she could actually kill me at any moment. Uh Anyway, so I guess you don't have to have a lot of water to drown, but how deep is this it? This is at least ten feet deep. Oh, I wonder if he had. The and the golf... water was murky. Did he have the uh, Did he have the golf club bag on him? I it, wonder. It doesn't say. Well, because how, why would you not just? Well, I guess you can't swim. Yeah, if you can't swim. All right. Well, and the water is murky. I suppose. So the man says, "Send tried to jump into the pond and tried to rescue him. Then he called nine one one. Let's see. They jumped in with life jackets and their clothes on, but the water was murky and they couldn't find him. Eventually, they did." I wonder if he had the golf club, like if he had the, the, the bag swung over his shoulder, though, because those are heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but the big bag of golf clubs, that weighs a good, you know, whatever. Well, you should have a caddy. Playing golf. Seriously, what were, you, what were you thinking? Not having a caddy. Uh, so, yeah, you fall into the uh, into the water with that, you're going to go straight down. All right. A uh, Vancouver woman is accused of biting her son, and he was delicious. Uh, Paulette Spears has been arrested. She apparently was uh, allegedly driving under the influence Saturday night. And her eight-year-old son called 911 to report mom was acting erratically. Spears apparently tried to take the phone away from the boy, as he called, and eventually bit his hand to get him to release the phone before she hung up on dispatchers. Uh, this is a five-year-old child. Other drivers also called 911 to report an erratic driver crossing the yellow line. Oh, wait, so this is not at home. This is in the car. Yeah. So it's, she's it's driving cool. crazily. The kid calls 911. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's something really wrong in your home if your child at the age of, what, four, five, already, already knows how to pick up the phone and dial 911 to report mom's crazy behavior. The last name is Spear. Of course it is. Uh, that's where the mom bit the uh, kid to get the phone away from him? That's correct. Her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was at 10 o'clock. Spears pulled into a fire station at 134th in Salmon Creek. Deputies soon arrived, determined she was drunk. Mm-hmm. They asked her to uh, perform a sobriety test. She refused. They arrested her and booked her on charges of reckless endangerment and assault to her child. You know, when they pull you over for drunk driving, you should never refuse to take the test. That always ends badly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, here's a story where all kinds of things are wrong. It starts about 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. In Oregon City. One, two, in a tavern. Three. Mm-hmm. A man just released from prison attacked a woman with a screwdriver after she agreed to help him get gas for her car Aww. after they met at a tavern at 2 a.m. in Oregon City. <laughs> Will you want me to get gas in my car? No, she agreed to do so. Of course. Plenty of mistakes have been made along what? the way here. <laughs> you, you had any number of chances uh, to turn back. Right. Yeah. So uh, she apparently thought that this was the right thing to do. Obviously, sure. it's the wrong thing. Uh, so, uh, let's see here. But, uh, James Worley pulled over just north of Gaston on Highway 47 and pretended to be out of gas. It's when the woman got out of her car and walked over to him. Don't ever help anybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, please say, uh, let's see, uh, Worley was trying to lure her into a trap. When she reached his car, he attacked her with a screwdriver and tried to kill her. And she fought back and eventually I got the best of him. And, uh, oh, by the way, he was recently paroled from prison for kidnapping and attempted robbery. What? In Clackamas County, <laughs> so he returns to Oregon City to a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, of course. Trying to pick up on the ladies. <laughs> As only he can. 
Yeah, don't ever stop to help anybody. No. I mean, this, I mean, it makes me a bad person. Have you ever stopped to assist anybody by the side of the road? No. <laughs> like, it's, just a, it's like asking. You're triple E is for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like I've asked you to wear white after Labor Day. <laughs> oh, why? I never. No. Oh, oh, oh. Posh. Uh, Sarah, you ever stop and help anybody by the side of the road? Oh, yeah, I guess I have. Uh, well, when I was riding my bike, like, remember when I brought those people in here? No, but I mean in your car. Now, see, but yeah, they were in a car and you were bicycling. See, I never would have stopped to help them. You it know? was sad. Everyone kept driving by, and it was a guy and his three children, and they're just sitting there, and nobody would stop. The kids are just a lure. The kids kids probably aren't even his. Yeah. Kids well, it was, it was very light you some magazines. <laughs> it's especially sad when the tire iron hits the back of your skull. I'd, I learned this lesson early on because when I was in... I think I had just graduated from high school. I think it was actually the summer I got out of high school, and a friend of mine had stopped to help someone change their tire by the side of the road. And so he sees the car broken down. I mean, it's not funny, but I mean, he sees the car broken down by the side of the road, blinking lights. Uh, in California, where, by the way, you would think, I mean, it's just known that you don't stop to help people, especially there. Um, he sees the car broken down. No, you know, they're, they're trying to get the tire off. He pulls over to the shoulder right in front of them. I mean, it's like the worst ending to the story. Pulls over, parks his brake, puts the emergency brake on, opens his door, steps out, bam, truck comes by, kills him instantly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the moral is, let them help themselves. The Lord helps those who have AAA. The Lord helps those who have OnStar. Good Samaritans become dead Samaritans. <laughs> the, dead Sam, the dead Sam Club. All right. What does that sticker mean? That the Good Sam Club sticker that you oh, see. Oh, that's the... some, something for people who uh, travel around the country in those RVs. And it's something for people that are over the age of 65 who also belong to the VFW Club. I have never seen a Good Sam uh, Club sticker on a vehicle belonging to anybody under the age of like 50. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley. You know those vehicles are expensive. What RVs? Yes. Well, of course. What with constantly having to hose the blood of your ex-husband out of the grill. Mm-hmm. And they have a very low resale value, too. <laughs> well, well, again, see, see previous grill denting. Uh, uh-oh. Somebody dumped some oil in front of children. Hazardous material crews worked to clean up a fuel oil spill in southeast this morning. This after a heating oil truck spilled up to 200 gallons of fuel into the street. This happened right in front of the southeast Belmont uh, oh, Glencoe Elementary School. They contained the school with absorbent materials, and the fire department said they did not believe any school traffic would be affected. The uh, Department of Environmental Quality is investigating as a small portion of the fuel did run into storm drains and some children may have stepped in it. Oh, I'll save this for later. <laughs> he says with a particularly evil grin. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's nothing more important in the world than what's going on in California. I think we all agree. Uh, more than a thousand firefighters continued their battle against the raging wildfire in the canyons of Malibu. The canyon fire is being fueled by hot, dry Santa Ana winds and won't, sub, uh, won't stop till tomorrow afternoon. The incident commander is Chief John Tripp, and he said there's a lot of work yet to be done. We're still looking at about 10% containment. We anticipate when we get, we've got intel going on right on the field right now to see that, uh, to validate if we've increased that containment. What would a wildfire be without Governor Schwarzenegger? He is touring the fire zones. He has declared a state of emergency in seven California counties. The only way that this works is if the state and if the locals, if law enforcement, fire officials, firefighters, and everyone, the OAS, everyone works together as quickly as possible. 
Yes, things get done when we all work together. The governor said we've learned a lot since the big wildfires of 2003. One of the things that you see now is there's much more equipment available, more manpower is available, quicker action. Everyone is coordinating much faster. We've learned to move elsewhere. Is this threatening the homes of the wealthy? Yes, that's okay. why we care. No, I was just going to say, because that's the only reason anybody cares about it. Right. If it's endangering the poverty-stricken, then it becomes sad. If it's you, endangering the homes of the wealthy, then it becomes fantastic. You do realize only 12,000 people live in Malibu. Yes. Well, I don't really... I'm not as familiar with Malibu as some. Is Malibu where Three's Company took place? I don't know that for a fact. When they moved to California, there was just the greatest. There was the greatest little vapor lock right there, where you could just hear the the, the gears in our heads grinding away to the detriment of actual broadcast. Just a, just a moment of silence there, while in our heads there was a sort of uh, uh, like when your uh, disc drive is trying to read something in the A slot. All right, I'm pretty sure. Isn't that opening sequence where Jack is bicycling along, and he sees the girl walk by, and he's staring at her buttocks, and then he falls into the sand, and then he, like, shakes his head up and looks at the cabinet. John Ritter! I'm pretty sure that that's Malibu. That could know. be. Somebody will let us know. I'm not entirely sure, though. Uh, California residents are urged to be ready to evacuate if necessary. How fire officials are using whatever resources they need in order to put out those fires. I urge everyone to follow the directions and evacuation orders uh, issued by the emergency personnel. Wow, 100,000 acres is already burned around San Diego County. More rich people. Places like Poway, Forest Ranch, Lake Hodges, Escondido. These are very expensive homes. So we do care about that, too. Did you see that there's going to be, speaking, by the way, of, of fires, and uh, Californians have, I'm not trying to knock Californians, I'm just saying there is a whole, there's a whole bunch of tiers of entertainment in California that we don't have in the rest of the country, like car chasing. We get the occasional car chase here. But if you're on KCAL or something, no, I mean, it, it, Los Angeles, I mean, it's it, 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 nearly 24 hours a day. It's a way of life. Did you see, <laughs> it is the state pastime. Um, did you see that they are now launching on CNN an entire program that is nothing but car chases? And I, it is actually called, Why Do They Run? And it's an entire program. And I think it's not just a one-shot deal. I think it's going to be like three times a week. And it's just going to be nothing but car chase footage with a guy saying, you know, like, here's here's somebody speeding away in a, in a street-leveling machine, you know. And then it always ends with the, I saw the best car chase the other day. Oh, and I think it's. Uh, where was it from? I, it was from St. Louis of all places, and you wouldn't really think. I mean, where you're gonna a poor man's car? You're, you're in St. Louis. Where is it? You're trying to. I mean, wait, you're trying to get home to whitewash the fence. Where are you going to in such a hurry? Um, so, uh, you know, I've got to get home for the dead cat swinging contest. So, in um, in St. Louis, there was this guy, and I think it's a pretty old car chase, but a guy was on the run in some sort of huge white SUV. He's driving along, and I think he'd shot somebody. I don't think he killed him, but I think he wounded somebody with a gun. Jumps in the truck, has no plan, of course, for where he's going to go. He gets onto whatever, you know, Highway 9 or whatever it is that goes through St. Louis. The cops are in pursuit. It's, I don't know, he's going probably 75, 80 miles an hour. Not out of control fast, but I mean faster than the speed limit. Uh, people are pulling over to the side, and he at one point is trying to sort of turn around or change lane. He's trying to throw the cops off the trail somehow, which you think by they know by now, you know, it's just impossible. It's, there's no throwing anybody off the trail of anything. Um, so he's trying to do something or other, but... And this is an elevated highway. It's about 50 feet above the ground. And there's a retaining wall. And so he's trying to sort of turn around or switch or pull a U-turn or something. Um, and it, but, but he kind of loses control. He goes through the retaining wall. The SUV does like a full-on Duke Brothers jump 
I mean, where, the, where the, it's just completely airborne, about 50 feet above the ground. And then the most, this is, this is kind of horrific, but the most satisfying ending, because he's clearly a bad guy, because he's on the run after, like, shooting somebody in the head. The most satisfying end of this, he isn't wearing a seatbelt. So what happens? He actually, the truck starts to spin in the air. And again, it's 50 feet above the ground. He actually falls out. Lands on the ground and then Wiley Coyote style, like half a second later, truck, bam, right on top of him. I mean, oh. and and then of course, like everything on the net, it becomes funnier when played back in slow motion. So they immediately play back in the, and you see the truck going shooting through the brick wall or through the cement retaining wall, out into the air, sort of Blues Brother style, 50 feet above the ground. The truck rotates slightly in the air, dumps him out like salt out of a shaker. He lands on the ground and then just, in, it's like a safe falling in, a, like a Warner Brothers cartoon. He lands on the ground, and I think he just has time to, like, look up as, as his own SUV just lands on him. It is immensely gratifying. It really just scratches, like, the deepest, darkest itch within your soul. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Uh, shall we uh, take a Three's Company call or a golf drowning call? Either. Well, that's appropriate. Start with golf drowning. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Oh, my God, dude, that last story you said is hilarious. It's fantastic. If I can find it, I'll post it. It's the most satisfying uh, death I've seen in quite some yeah, time. Yeah, you got to do that. That's instant karma at its best right yeah. there. Man. No, it's Holy genius. Hell. Yeah. That is great. Um, hey, I'm not used to this whole, like, getting screened thing. That's that's different. He actually wanted to know what I was talking about before he put me on hold and everything. I don't know how that's going to work out too well for me. Uh, Scotty had sort of an elastic definition of screening a call when he was working back there. So. <laughs> I think elastic is, uh, is is going for it a little yeah. bit too much there. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, actually, this is a, a true story. I went golfing with my dad yesterday. We were going out to Tri-Mountain. We live up in, uh, in Salmon Creek. And... Um, we were going to go golf three or uh, 18 holes, you know, so we, we're heading out there. And uh, when we get there, we see all these um, these cop cars and, and ambulances and everything are out there, and everybody's right. freaking out. And we figure that somebody got nailed in the head with a golf ball or whatever, you know. Um, but it turns out when we went in there, we were going to go play 18 holes, and, and they uh, they were like, well, if you want to play 18, you got to play the front nine twice. And it's like, well, why is that? And the guy tells me, he goes, well, because hole 14 is killing people today. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. When you say killing people, is that where this guy drowned? That is, yeah. That that's the want want. Right. So what is the? Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't really know that that was. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't really prepared with the. Uh, I'm still not prepared. Apparently. Man, I've forgotten one before. I was looking hell? forward to it. All right, hold on. Where the hell is my want want sounder? Oh wait. There we go. There we go. Uh, so now, you, how deep? Did you say this is like ten feet deep? How deep is one of these golf ponds? Yeah, well, that one actually is is a pretty big one. I um most of, most of the times, like if you go to a little par three course or, yeah. or anything else, I mean they're not they're not deep. They're five feet deep, maybe three feet deep. You can see your see your ball, and that's what I was thinking. Maybe he was trying to get his ball out of the water or whatever, and could have slipped and fell in there. Um, but it's a whole lot of hard to try to swim out of a murky pond, you know. So I I don't know what happened, but I know they were swimming around looking for him for over an hour and a half before they actually found him too. So. Re reaching for his ball, but it was a whole lot of hard. Yeah, uh, a whole lot of hard reaching you, for your you ball sometimes. Now would you? Would you say that I'm sorry? Let me. If you, if you, uh, if you had your golf uh, bag slung over your shoulder, though, that would be enough to sort of pull you right to the bottom. Oh you yeah, think? no, there's, there's no way you're getting out of there with that. My bag, I, I always walk, and I got, uh, I got one that you, you fit like a, it fits like a backpack. You know, you got yeah. the, the two, two-sided harness on it, and yeah, that would drag you straight down, man. I mean, you're looking at like 35 pounds of weight right on your back. Jesus, that's no good. And 
you know, I mean, trying to swim in golf shoes ain't, ain't much fun either, I'm sure. So. All right, excellent. You don't have to wear those uh, silly stripy pants, do you? I choose to. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a statement, dude. You're genius. Thank you. Bye now. All right, there you go. How did I choose to? The, the opening segment for Three's Company was filmed at Santa Monica Pier, not Malibu. But the question is, where was it set, though, the show? Oh. Uh, hi. Uh, I mean, really, because of where it was filmed and where it was set were the same thing. Every place, everything takes place in Canada. Oh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Who's this? Hey, Rick. It's Dennis. What's up? Hey, I, I swear... And I used to watch Three's Company all the time. I could have sworn that the opening segment was at the zoo because you, they're at the zoo. They're on the little trolley driving around yeah. at the zoo. Okay, that, okay hold that's on. Another, that's another opening that You're, was filmed at the L.A. Zoo. That is correct. Is it the L.A. Zoo or the San Diego Zoo? The L.A. Zoo. Are you sure about that? I just looked at that. Because, because, that's, because you're, thinking of, uh, you're thinking of seasons like five, through, five and six where it was uh, Jenny Lee Harrison as uh as Cindy. Yeah, these were the these were the later ones I thought. Yeah. When they had they were that was, on the little trolley almost fell off yeah. and kinda of giggling and No, that was the uh, that was the Mr. Furley era. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. And but, I did and I have seen the video where the guy gets run over by his own truck. That's yeah. a very good spot from a car guy's point of view. Oh. The only thing that could have made that any better is as the guy said in Acme style, right. if the concrete would have hardened Right before he got hit by his own truck. And if the truck had landed on him and then exploded. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All oh, right. and, uh, and by the way, it was Suzanne Summers' $3 million Malibu home that went up in flames during the last Malibu fire. Really? Yes. The way to make it relatable. Way to tie it in. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I always thought I always actually thought it was the Santa Barbara Zoo where they filmed that uh, sequence where she falls on the fence. Tim is shaking his head sadly at your ignorance. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, what I wanted to say, too, is that uh, I'm a little upset with you. You're, you're sounding a, a slightly uh, conservative Republican to me, uh, a person that doesn't stop to uh, help uh, people on the side of the road, and you don't think unions should uh, be able to strike. No, I never said either. Well, I, well, I don't, don't have any that. sympathy for unions. I, I mean, don't have. I don't. Well, let's stop. Let's take these inanities one at a time. A, <laughs> a. Uh, I just don't really care about the humanity as a whole. I think I speak for all of us, Tim. No, I don't no. care, Sarah. Well, Sarah. What? Okay, see, there you go. Sarah's not even listening no, to the I conversation. Heard, I, heard a, I heard an angry tone, and then I kind of. No, <laughs> no, no. None of us. None of not us. A, not angry at all. Hey, you know what? I, I went uh, the last, and the last time I went golfing, where somebody yeah. got hurt really badly, was the last time that they they actually uh, decided not to uh, um, allow beer. If you were driving, if you were going to rent a cart from the golf course, you couldn't drive because somebody while we the the foursome in front of us the guy drove his car into a 14 foot uh, uh creek fantastic uh no i don't stop to help people on the road because everybody i know who does that ends up either getting mugged or hit by another vehicle well so, this is uh, portland right and really i mean let's be honest triple a costs like nine dollars a month pick up the phone call that well and like you said the tire iron to the head is always Seriously. a possibility so it has nothing to do with not with my political persuasion i just don't wish to be mugged while helping some serial killer move up you know couch into the back of his van also, uh, on the union tip, as they say, really, uh, it, what did Steve Kastenbaum say the stage had? They were making $200,000 a year. If you're making $200,000 a year and you go on strike, you can suck one. Spoken like a true Portlander. All right, thank you. Bye now. Here's Tim Riley. That would be your typical middle-class life in New York, though. That, that might get you 500 square feet. <laughs> I suppose. It, it's that much. That'll get you a studio. 
Can I, uh, sir, can I ask, you, does your sister live in a studio apartment? She live by herself or does she have a roommate? No, she has a roommate. Well, she would have to. Well, I mean, she, she must pay through the nose. She doesn't live in Manhattan, but still. Yeah, well, she lives in, yeah, in East Williamsburg. So she lives in a place that, it's a one-bedroom apartment, but they, um, there's a kitchen and there's a door that opens and shuts and there's a living room and then there's um, a front living room and she lives in that part. She just blocks off the... Of course, with a sheet. Blocks it off with curtains. Oh, yeah. damn. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley. So have all questions been answered up to this point? I didn't know. I don't know. Because I wasn't really asking where the opening sequence... I can't believe we're... This is those moments when the show begins to just sound like a bad satire of itself. I wasn't really asking where the opening sequence of Three's Company was filmed. Because that... I just assumed that was, you know, wherever it is they could get a filming license that day. Or, you know, a soundstage or something. I guess my question was, where did the show actually take place? That was my question. And that really has not been satisfactorily answered. But I realize as I wade hip deep into this that I don't really care that much. So... So we're all set. Here's Tim Riley. Meanwhile, uh, the president is uh, speaking up, uh, commending the people of Mongolia for some reason. You and your country. I admire your grilling. Solidarity with the American people. And since then, you have been uh, a stalwart in helping Star defeat Wars? extremists by helping young democracies survive and thrive. Does he know what he's... No. Well, there's just random phrases. You okay. and your country stood in solidarity with the American people. When? Mongolia? And since then, you have been uh, or is this a outer Mongolia? and helping defeat extremists stalwart. by helping young democracies survive and thrive. Uh-huh. I think he's conflating the word stalwart and bulwark, by the way. Uh, it sounded like random phrases kind of hooked together. Well, okay, first of all, what's Mongolia doing there? I was just going to say... I hate to invoke the spirit of Scotty J today, but I don't even know where Mongolia is. He doesn't either. Is that in Asia? Yes, it is. Oh, well, okay, there you go. Well, China. I had a one in seven chance of being it's right. In the China China area. Is it? Yeah. Now, it's an Oriental is, country. Is that where we get uh, Mongolian hordes from? We're among, isn't that I where? Was, so. Wasn't Genghis Khan a Mongolian? He was, yes. All right, and so we're thanking. We're thanking them. Why? What have they done for us? Uh, well, I mean, there's that place in Beaverton where you can get a big bowl of meat for like $3. But, I mean, really, apart from that, they're standing by democracy. You and your country stood in solidarity with the American people. And since then, you have been uh, a stalwart in helping defeat extremists by helping young democracies survive and thrive. Huh? M- Mongolia. Oh, maybe maybe they fought on our side during the war with Britain, or so he thinks. The, 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 you know, the, the, the Battle of Antietam. Um, the great thing is, as he's because of course I have no real education or intelligence. As he's uh, speaking to, I don't know whoever, I picture him talking to Bob Genghis Khan from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the guy with the huge, the huge like pel- pelted hat and like a, like a club in his hand. I mean, I'm sure that Mongolians don't all look like that, but really, who's to say? Anyway, well, all right. So I guess Mongolia did some great things, something for us. Really, if Mongolia wanted to make a larger impression on the world and maybe you know make themselves a player again, they ought to go back to dressing like that. You know what I mean? Just a huge like Captain Caveman style club with like a bone right through it, and then just everybody have the huge Genghis Khan mustache and just a big hat, and then just and you know, and, and then like a weird dragon tattooed on their face, and just and not even speak, just stare at you and hit things. Uh, here's Tim Bradley. So, did you know that Republican candidates clashed in debate last night in Florida? Well, I did know that, and I wanted to talk to CNN Radio about that. But apparently CNN Radio, the world's premier and foremost news-gathering and disseminating organization, did not feel that the debate among candidates for the grand old party, the Republicans, uh, from which we will find the, you know, the candidate who will then compete for the office of president, the most influential position in all of uh, society, yeah. they didn't want to cover that. 
It, it could be because it was on Fox. Oh, okay. So uh, let's that see. That does actually explain it all. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Because like everybody else, I just watched it on YouTube today. Uh-huh. Uh, so it never even occurred to me that it's because it was on Fox. That actually does. I'm amazed they didn't just tell us that when we asked that they didn't go. No, it was on Fox. Move on. All right. Well, fair enough. No, you know, if, if, if it's on something else, they don't even mention it. Didn't debates used to be on all the networks at once? When people might watch them. Okay. I mean, they used to attract something of an audience. Well, that's because you didn't have any. Saying they attracted an audience. Okay, people are, people didn't have remote control. They were too lazy to get out of their chairs. Therefore, they sat through them. I was going to say, attract is kind we, of we a broad it, term. We made it easier for people to look for other things. Well, this is exactly what I was saying to Lisa Goddard the other day, that the, the dilution of the American channel selection mm-hmm. has made it so that you don't ever watch those things because you don't need to. I mean, and, and just to recap. Well, you YouTube. Well, and to quickly recap what I was saying the other day, the example I gave is I was watching the West Wing, and they were all, it was this whole sequence about Bartlett's third state of the Union address, and everybody in the White House was all, you know, they were all hyper-vigilant about making sure that his State of the Union address was fantastic, because it was crucial that his State of the Union go off flawless. And I realized, I don't even remember when the last State of the Union was. I mean, I know Bush spoke... They have it every year in January. A couple months... Well, then what was he talking about a couple months ago? Wasn't Bush on TV a couple months ago talking about something? Victory. I don't... (laughs) And and the gardens that grow it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even... Remember what he said in the last State of the Union, or the one before that, because the same thing. No one watches. So uh, now that we have options, uh, we no longer watch any of that stuff. And the good part about things is you don't have to subscribe to something to get it. Like uh, Bill Mayer had this thing the other night. Oh, I just man. watched it on YouTube. How great is that? Did you see that? Yeah, it's on my blog today. Oh, man. We can't play it on the air, though. Uh, because it's full of profanity. Yes, it is. Actually, and that's what makes it. If I, yeah, and I, if I'd been thinking, I would have bleeped it, but you're right. It would have robbed it of all of its punch. I mean, you uh, can watch it on my, my blog today. Thank you. Right, go to uh, Tim Riley's blog. You can go to rickemerson.com and just click on the Tim Riley banner on the it's lower fabulous. left-hand side. So here's what happens. So Bill Maher... And I've, I've talked before about his show, which is, I have HBO, but I don't watch his show anymore because it just sort of makes me angry, you know? And, and not you even, turn it on, you're not going to turn it off, though. Yeah, and... Uh, you're not going to go look for it, but you will turn it off. Yeah, just, if it's sort of there, yeah. I might watch it for a while. But I canceled my season pass to it because I realized that it would not, I would just never watch it. Um... It has nothing to do with my political persuasion. It's just panel shows that consist of people shouting at each other and debates. arguing. You don't like debates. Well, it's not even that they're, they're not even really debates. Look, Tim, I was on the debate club. I know what an actual debate is. This is just a bunch of, uh, like, low-rent Ann Coulters and low-rent Michael Moores screaming at each other. Yes. And I just don't I just don't care. And it just makes me irritable, and I just want to smash my television. So I just turn it off, and, you know, I watch something else. But there was this great thing that happened on Friday. And, again, I encourage you to go to Tim's blog and watch this. It is filled with profanity, so be careful. Be careful what you're watching. Bring the kids. Um where Bill Maher is trying to talk to somebody, and there's one of those nutcase 9-11 truthers uh, in the audience, one of those, you know, you know, it was, an, it was a controlled demolition, one of, the, you know, one of those, the, the, those nutcases that claims that it was, I don't know, it was the planet of, like, Ziknakia that came in and blew up the World Trade Center. Um, and he starts shouting, and Bill Maher, who's a huge bleeding heart, I mean, that guy's about as liberal as you get, yeah. um, and a vegan, I might add. Uh, so the guy starts screaming about, you know, like, tell the truth about 9-11. And Bill Maher is, he just says, like, shouts back, like, why don't you shut the F up? And the guy continues to talk, and then Maher just has security beat the guy senseless and kick him out. And then apparently it was like him and a gaggle of his friends. Because the, the security, like, pummels the guy and kicks him out. 
And then somebody else starts doing it, and somebody else. And so, like, three, it was immensely satisfying, because at one point, Marr himself waded into the audience, and the guy is continuing to, like, scream his gibberish about, and building number seven was an internal devilet. And Marr actually goes, starts kicking the guy. So security, it's so deeply satisfying to watch. It's right up there with the St. Louis car chase. Um, where security is holding the guy, and Marr actually begins kicking him, like, as security's working him over, and then they kick him out. It really is wonderful. It's just, I enjoy seeing people beaten when they've really got it coming. You know what I mean? Sometimes even when they don't have it coming. But when they're just, as uh, as someone we know once said, when they're just begging for it, it really, there are a few things just more heartwarming just to see some dick just get a good pounding when, he, when he's asking for it. So, yeah, really, I recommend that you go and watch that. Fantastic. So getting back to this, there was some sort of debate held last night on the Fox Television News Network. And many of the candidates showed up. Uh, Senator John McCain drew the first blood from a rival when he zing Mitt Romney for saying in the last debate that he consult lawyers before striking at Iran if that became necessary. I wasn't there. I'm sure it was a cultural and now, pharmaceutical event. This is a different cut. <laughs> this I is was, wrong. I was tied up at the time. This is. But the fact is. <laughs> the fact is. It's the wrong one. That's him talking about Woodstock. One moment, please. I only... I only... I'm sorry. I only, uh... And, of course, my screen is freezing. Of course. In your typical Bill Gates manner. All right, let's go look for this. Please stand by. In real time. U.P. Fox... One moment, please. It's a loading. Not as quickly as we'd like to. I'm still waiting. Okay, I think we're ready now. John McCain drew the first blood from a rival when he zinged Mitt Romney for saying in the last debate he'd consult lawyers before striking at Iran if that became necessary. This better be the right one. Those are the last people on earth I call in. The people I call in, I call, my, in, I call in my wisdom, my knowledge, my background, my experience, and my ability to lead this nation. And you're going to lose. Uh, Mitt Romney said the federal government should stay out of health care. But one thing that I'm happy about is that Republicans are talking about health care. This isn't a Democrat issue. It's a Republican issue. For Democrats, they want to have government take it over. And I don't want to have the guys who did the cleanup at Katrina taking responsibility for health care in this country. That was the GOP. Uh, now, don't worry. Whoever takes care of health care in 2008, it's not going to be a Republican. Don't yeah. you worry. Uh, Congressman uh, Ron Paul said the Republican Party has lost its way. And that's why we lost last year. And if we don't go back to our traditions and believe in the Constitution, limited government, personal liberties, and a foreign policy that's non-interventionist that won't bankrupt us so that we can defend this country, we can't even defend our own cities while we're prancing around the entire world. Somebody sounds crazy. Yeah, that guy's also not going to be elected to anything, by the way. I like him, though. Oh, no, I, crazy. I like him. Don't get me wrong. I all, But see, that's that's how you can tell uh, that someone will never get elected, is that we find them interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like that Gravel guy from Alaska, who, and I'm not even sure if he's still running. I think he may have actually dropped out at this point. I don't even know. Oh, I haven't heard anything about him. Uh, he's the guy who one week was talking about legalizing weed, and the next week he was talking about lowering the drinking age to 18. 
He's just, I mean, he's according to, according to the uh, the votes of all kinds of people who don't register and can't register. Um, no, McCain's never going to be elected to anything, ever, ever. It all does. Uh, but uh, he did have that quote about Woodstock, though. And really, you do have to ask yourself, like, what year is he living in that he thinks it's still, like, he'll gain a lot of, he'll score points by making fun of Woodstock. Mm. I mean, the whole thing is just very sort of 1988. So then we go back to uh, Fred Thompson, who apparently is running... He says the growing crisis between Turkey and Kurdish rebels in northern Iraq can be handled by creating an open dialogue. I hope that they don't invade. I think that this is one area where diplomacy could work because you have two people or two countries or two areas, I should say, that uh, we're used to talking to and used to working with. Well, okay. Yes, you're supposed to like Fred Thompson, says political operative Mary Matlam. Give him a really? chance. I so take it for granted oh. that everybody knows what a stellar resume has. Done. Over. That's all there is to it. Boy, you know, don't you expect her to be, like, on a stick in a field somewhere scaring birds away? Yes. yes. She's just the weirdest. Don't get me wrong. There was a period of time when I found Mary Madeline really hot. uh, And I think it's just because I like kind of smart, bitchy women. But she's just sort of... It's like someone had put a vacuum inside of her, just removed all of her insides and about half the air. She just... She looks like a... She looks like a sort of a kite sagging in low winds. You know what I mean? Just a lot of weird, uh, weird tight skin and pokey things. Anyway, uh, by the way, we have this. Apparently, there is a uh, there is a fatal accident at North Greeley and Interstate Avenue. So someone has reported this. I don't know if this is true or not. We have a report. This uh, may or may not be accurate. If someone has reported that there is a fatal accident at the intersection of North Greeley and uh, Interstate Avenue. So we'll have uh, more on that. This is probably a good time to break, actually. Take a break. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Don't forget, at some point today, you'll hear Tim Riley say the magic words... Damn, it feels good to be a gangsta. When you hear that, you'll be uh, caller 9 at 503-733-2970. You'll pick, a copy, uh, pick up a copy of American Gangster Season 1 in stores uh, on DVD October 23rd from BET Paramount Home Entertainment. That's coming up later on. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, uh, this is Tim Riley. Okay, so we have a bit of breaking news. This is a follow-up to what we had a couple of minutes ago. Uh, sadly, another bicyclist has been killed, this time after being pinned under a garbage truck. Jesus. This happened just moments ago at the intersection of North Interstate and Greeley. So once again, a bicyclist was killed moments ago after being pinned under a garbage truck at North Interstate now, and Greeley. Now, I don't really know where Greeley is. I know what Interstate is, because uh, not that sound awkward, but, but that, I mean, that's, every, that's um, EcoPDX, and so and, and so I've actually been there a whole bunch of times. And you can take Greeley to, uh, uh, to Swan Island, or okay. you can continue north and go into St. John's. What okay. what other street is that by? Are the streets alphabetical there? Like, would it be Greeley and it, then it, something it with an H? North. All right. it, 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 it bisects all the uh, I'm just trying to figure out... Five streets. I'm trying to figure out uh, So what is it? In North Interstate and what? In Greeley, although somebody said that they both run north-south. Somebody is claiming here that they don't intersect. Yeah, that sounds about right. So it doesn't make any sense. This guy, uh, Michael, says, uh, Rick, Interstate Avenue and Greeley Avenue both run north-south, so maybe, uh, you know, you know yeah, that doesn't sound right, yeah. So I, I don't really understand. If somebody knows that area, 
You know, as more, okay, I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to sound crash about this, but you know, this Google Maps function might come in handy right now, actually. Um, it, it, we should see if the intersection of Greeley and uh, yeah, it, does, it isn't pulling up. It's just uh, north. It's pulling at North Portland Boulevard and North Greeley. Does it say? Does the news story itself say Interstate and Greeley? Uh huh. What is that? KGW. Yes, it is. Wow. All right. Well, in any event, so uh, so no further details on that. Jesus. So we had the cement truck two weeks ago. I think. And uh, look, I'm just going to make this observation. I'm not trying to uh, to make light of anything or to to whatever. But simply, uh, just observationally speaking, if we can talk a little shop here, I think we now are, we, we, the, the, the craze is now going to begin. Because we've had, what is that, three? Is that three in two weeks? Yes. So we had uh, the, the bicycle, you know, the, the, the girl is at 14th, and we had the girl at 14th and Burnside. Uh-huh. This uh, man or woman, whoever this is, that is just uh, very horrifically, the cyclist has been killed by a garbage truck. What a bad way that is God, to go. First a cement truck and then a garbage truck. Oh. Uh, and then, but I, I, didn't we have... Well, my friend's um, friend was killed in Brooklyn. They, he was run over by a car, like, literally, I think... Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. No, 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 it was in Northeast, but it wasn't a cyclist. It was like, I think it was actually like oh, a kid crossing true. the road or something. Yes. So, but you know, you know, you and I both know how the media works. Uh, you know, something happens once, you know, it's a story. Something happens twice, uh, the media really starts to, you know, they, they kind of arch their eyebrows and they get ready for some sort of a craze. Something happens three times, four times. I mean, remember how it was like that year when... Uh, I don't kidnapped know. Was, blonde children. Well, there was kidnapped white girls, and then there was like, remember the, the one year was all sharks. Mm-hmm. There was a couple years ago, like it was the summer of the shark, and it was the, the, everywhere you went, the news people were talking about that. It's going to be bicyclists now. That's that's you you. It's uh, just going to make the rift between drivers and bicyclists so much worse. Oh. This is awful. Well, you know, well, never mind. Never mind. I'm going to hold my tongue about it. Uh, I'm not going to go off on a whole thing. Uh, oh, actually, speaking speaking of the devil from Ecopedix, Darren from Ecopedix. How you doing, man? Hey, Rick. How you doing? Um, so you guys are on interstate, and actually speaking of bikes, when I did that worst day of the year, no, was it the worst day of the year? It was the hottest day of the year, right, uh, a while back, and it went right by your showroom. So where is – do interstate and Greeley intersect? They do. You know, interstate is actually where Greeley starts, I believe. Okay. Um, so. You go one street past Russell, two blocks past Deco PDX, and you actually take a left, and that's where Greeley starts. Okay, so, yeah, I know exactly where it is. Uh, by Adidas and stuff. And is that a, is that a one-way street? Um, for the first, you know, a couple hundred yards of it, because um, if you're... No, I guess it, no, it's two-way all the way. All right, so... Um, you get on there. I don't know where you are physically right now, if you're at the store, if you're whatever, but, I mean, is it... The, I'm imagining oh, no. they got everything kind of closed down. And, you know, I was actually just getting ready to head there, so uh, yeah. I don't think I am now. All right, yeah. If I would try to, and we would tell everybody to try to uh, try to avoid that. Uh, yeah. People should probably not be in that area at this moment. All no, right. I, I don't know if they closed down the Max too, because the Max runs right there as well. So, uh, uh, just a whole lot of bad. All it right, a whole lot of bad. All, all right. right, thank you. All right, there you go, Darren from EcoPDX. Uh, all right. Well, we'll get, I guess, more information sort of as it. Uh, as it comes out, but you totally nailed it. This is just going to be, and, and you know the next thing. And I, I, I guess we're I'm just so cynical about this because it's not. It's not that we don't care. Obviously, we do. It's horrific. But you know, but the, the bicyclist hit, killed, and you know, I'm not going to not going to say that. Well, they're in a better place now. I'm simply going to say that what what now will happen. I mean, the the death of the bicyclist is sort of done and over, and their family will deal with it. But now what's going to happen, as you said, the next thing is going to be the obligatory, like, town hall meeting, and there's going to be some sort of a, uh, 
you know, there's going to be some candlelight vigil during which some jackhole guys in cars are going to cause trouble, and some jackhole bicyclists will go through a red light, and then everybody's, and then there's going to be some brawl of some kind. Because I mean, that already happened the last time. I made this observation last week that that um, that uh, that bike procession that went that followed that girl's path to 14th and Burnside, where a whole bunch of bicyclists decided to roll right through an intersection against a red light in front of a bunch of cars. Uh, and I know that the driver of at least one of those cars got out and was about ready to start cracking skulls before the police intervened. So let's try hard not to have that happen this time, shall we? I think someone should petition um, the Oregonian or, you know, some big publication like that to, on on a Sunday, I was talking to my friends about this yesterday, just put the rules of the road on the front page. Like, right. put the rights of the That's bicyclists. a great idea. I, I really want to do that. I was thinking about looking into that, how you can petition to just, like, a Sunday paper or something where people can cut it out, put it on their fridge. Like That is a really, right. really good idea. And, in fact, you know, and, in, and in fact, we should just go ahead and do, that, do that, actually. All right. Because that Attention, way everyone, Bridget. because there's always blame put on everything. Nobody really knows the, the specific rules of the road. It's like if you put them there, then people can start to understand each other a little bit more. Well, I gotta, I gotta tell you um, that you know I get that, and I'm fully aware that there's always blame on both sides of the equation here. Because, yeah, because you're you're counting on both parties to be paying attention every time, all the time. Right, and and you know it's just the law of averages that at some point you're going to get both people paying attention to something else, and you have to pay full attention. You know, and it's it's raining. Out and it's, it's dark whatever. and it's just uh, I mean God I saw a bicyclist go by me I'm not gonna I don't want to start blaming bicyclists but I saw a bicyclist go by me the other day on a goddamn cell phone I mean and not like talking on a hand like hand to his head uh, which is doubly bad because of course it only gives you one set of brakes and also you know you're being an idiot on a cell phone while bicycling so I mean it just um, but even, you know, in Portland, which is a very – didn't Portland get some ranking as the most bike-friendly city in the country yeah. at some point? Which bike commuters to work, too. Probably is. But, you know, downtown, I will still get those guys who come up behind me in the car, and they lay on the horn because I'm in the middle of the road. And I always want to just stop and point, you know, out to them that I am actually not only entitled to the road – and I hate to use the word entitled because it makes me sound uh, like some sort of snooty, uppity bicyclist – but that actually, according to the law, I am required to be in the car lane. You're illegal. It's illegal if you're on the sidewalk. Yeah, or even and, – and I think actually downtown, I don't even think you're actually allowed to, to, to drive on the shoulder on the bike. I think you actually have to be in the lane. Um so I, that is a great idea. We really, because you know what this station has, and I'm not trying to make it all about us, but you know what, we do have a lot of people who listen to this uh, show who are cyclists, because I hear from them all the time. Because, you know, we have a pretty, you know, pretty forward-thinking, uh, you know, and I, I hate the phrase green. I hate that. But, you know, we do have a lot of, of, you know, a lot of that type, a lot of people who sort of are that walk, from that walk of life in this, in the audience. So. I'm a big fan of that idea. So I'm going to talk to somebody about that today. That, that would is actually a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, here's uh, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So we have that. Then we have this guy who's uh, robbing houses and using the obituaries to find out his addresses. 41-year-old James Sean Carlson is accused of stealing from the living and the dead. And uh, now he's uh, booked on five counts of burglary. Isn't that part of the Apostles' Creed? We believe that he will come to steal from the living and the dead, to rifle through their silverware drawers and steal their underwear. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Yeah, hi. I was uh, commenting about the uh, failed combination of bicyclists and automobiles. Yeah. As a former bicyclist, I always had a rule of thumb, and that was if something is bigger than me, going faster than me, and hits me, it will kill me. Uh, and what bothers me about Portland, or I'm not from, is that there is a, uh, by many bicyclists, a presumed 
um, right of way that in reality can hurt them badly. Well, I mean, it's not a presumed right of way. Usually it is legally the right of way. But the fact of the matter is you just, you know, having the legal right of way, arguing your, arguing your case to a lawyer isn't going to really help you when you're in, you know, you're in traction with a broken spine. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, the, I mean, the law uh, will not shield you from the from the grill of a truck. You know, the rules of the road apply to bicyclists on the road, and I have no problem in the share lanes. I, I'm very courteous to bicycles, but as you mentioned in that uh, uh, the mass ride in uh, in mourning of the the woman that was killed on Burnside, uh, you run a light, you're going to get hit. Yeah, and I, planes without indicating you might get hit and, and die. And, and I gotta tell you, you know, up until a few years ago, and I would totally, I used to actually be, I didn't do it all the time, but I would certainly be that guy from time to time where I would roll through a stop sign, I would roll through a red light, I would roll through whatever. I basically, I basically would behave on a bike like I behaved in a car, where you do with the, the, the so-called California stop, right. uh, where you sort of slow and then roll through. But I mean. You know, after I knew two or three people that had either been hit by cars and barely hit by cars, nicked by a car, you know, you just got to... And plus, I just don't want to be that guy that is infuriating every car on the road because I'm on a bicycle and I somehow think the rules of the road don't apply to me. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks, Rick. Bye. All right. There you go. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, this says, Rick... Uh, while the streets both run north-south, this is interesting in Greeley, there is a moment where they intersect, and it's a nightmare. Four lanes, max tracks, and a truck crossing. Uh, Jesus. I'm honestly surprised these uh, don't happen more often. Curious to see what happens. Statistically, That's the other thing. He says, statistically speaking, truck drivers are very safe. And we always do point this out, that truck drivers are some of the safest people on the road. Yeah. A, because they don't More just... Than not. Yeah, and they don't just give a... Because they don't just give a truck driver license to anybody. Uh, and B, uh, you know, they realize that they have to... You know, they have greater stopping distance. It's hard for them to turn. They have blind spots. So they sort of compensate for that by being ultra-cautious. So in most cases, uh, truck drivers are... Uh, you know, they're very safe drivers. So we're certainly not going to apply blame here, even though that is sort of the, the gut instinct you have. But it's just... You know what this is going to do, though? I was reading the, uh, the Oregonian about this. This is going to, they're going to renew that debate where they want to eliminate bike lanes at right-hand turns and where they just want to, uh, uh, what they want to do is they want to require cars that are turning, they're not to eliminate the bike lane, I'm phrasing that wrong. What the, what the cops want to do, and they've been wanting to do this for a while, and every time something like this happens, it sort of adds fuel to this fire. The cops want to make it so that if a car is coming up and wants to turn right, that the car moves into the bike lane. And so that basically the bike lane becomes a right turn lane for cars, um, which, you know, I, which is not going to go over well, which is not going to go over well and will probably only exacerbate the issue, in my opinion. Anyway, here's Tim Riley. Well, Michael Jackson is revisiting his album Past. He's set to release his 1982 record-breaking album Thriller to mark the 25th anniversary of its debut. It'll have such remixes as Wanna Be Startin' Something, The Girl Is Mine, Billie Jean, PYT, and featuring artists such as Kanye West, Will I Am, and Akron. Really? Yes. No one cares. Nobody cares. No one cares. Is there anybody who ever, 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 ever needs to buy another copy of Thriller? No. No. Uh-oh, I've just received this from Malibu. The Promises Treatment Center has undergone precaution of a very evacuation due to a potential fire danger. 
The clients at that famed rehab facility have been moved because the center is on a one-lane road, and evacuating everyone quickly could be dangerous. How'd you like to be somebody who's in there and you're trying to detox? Your life is all stressful. You're, you know, you're trying to kick booze or pills or whatever it is you were using to uh, to opiate your problems away, and then you look out your bedroom window and there's a huge wildfire six inches away yeah. from your bedroom. That'll drive you to drink. So far, that fire has scorched 2,400 acres and destroyed at least five homes and a church. Fantastic. Several celebrities, including Sean Penn, Olivia Newton-John, James Cameron, Mark Hamill, and Cindy Crawford, have been affected. No word yet on whether any of those celebrity homes have been lost in the fire. Olivia Newton-John. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, we wouldn't lie to you. All right. Uh, Interstate and Gre- uh, Greenly come together where that giant, the Paul Bunyan statue is. Somebody's clear, but near the dancing bear for those who uh, frequent those establishments. Uh, yeah, there's that Paul Bunyan statue. So that is where this oh, intersection is. Oh, that's Kenton. Yeah, that's a bad. It's gnarly. It yeah. really is. It's just all kinds of things coming together there. Yeah, I, I concur with that guy I said earlier. I'm amazed that accidents don't happen more often. All right, here's Tim Riley on KCMT Portland. All righty. Well, let's get back to this. Uh, Stephen Colbert is running for the White House. It's for real. He tells me the press he plans to seek nomination only in his home state of South Carolina. I'd like to lose twice. I'd like to lose both a Republican and a Democrat. I think that statement would make that I was able to get on the ballot in South Carolina. And if I can do it, so can you. I would encourage you to go to Powell's where there was a wholly terrifying cardboard stand-up of Stephen Colbert. Which is, have you seen the cover of his book? No. It's really freaky. He's got dead, soulless eyes. They're like a doll's eye. Uh, you look at the cover of his book, which is called, uh, it's called I Am America and So Can You. And he's just got this... I don't know whether they photoshopped him or it's just the way that they photographed him. There's something really bizarre about the way he looks on the cover of that book. It really is like he's about ready to leap off the cover and eat your spine. Uh, but the, the, you go to Powell's and there's a cardboard cutout of him. Uh, it, it just looks like he's about to go for your throat. It's just all manner of terrifying. So uh, anyway, you check that out. These Now... This is like a Pat Paulson kind of a thing, then, if he's running for president. Pat Paulson, who is a comedian, who is a perennial uh, he's dead. president, is not running for anything now at all. No. Uh, so that's that's okay. He's pulling a page out of Pat Paulson's handbook. Uh, so getting back to what he said, he wants to end Social Security and Medicare and compared it to waitresses' tips. Abolish tipping waiters and waitresses because I've gotten my food. They get paid by the hour. Why am I giving them extra money? That's all pensions and Social Security are. It's a tip at the end of your life. He's also against gay marriage. Marriage is the basic building block of society. And if gay men get married, that threatens my marriage uh, immediately because I only got married as a taunt toward gay men because they couldn't. (laughs) Excellent. Well done, Stephen Colbert. God bless you. Uh, I don't really... I can't watch his show because it's sort of... After about eight minutes of Stephen Colbert, I'm kind of full. Uh, but uh, the, the satire glass labeled Stephen Colbert fills up pretty quickly in my head. But God, he's a brilliant guy. He really is. And the great thing about Stephen Colbert, the really refreshing thing about him, I mean, he's he really is a comedic genius. He and his staff of writers. Don't get, I'm not trying to knock him. I'm just it's not. I don't watch Stephen Colbert also for the same reason I don't watch The Daily Show. That I am I'm very conscious of not wanting to. Um, I don't want to inadvertently sort of steal from them, and I know that if I watch stuff, it has a tendency to work its way into my vocabulary. So I don't watch The Daily Show for the same reason I never listened to Howard Stern, because I didn't want it to sort of seep into what I into what I do. Uh, my whole life, I probably listened to The Howard Stern Show less than, I mean, probably a total of five hours in my life, just because I never I never wanted it to affect me, which is another reason I don't watch Colbert. But he does these great, if you've ever seen him interviewed, 
The great thing about it is he does not do the interview in character. I mean, he, his interviews are always just with him as a person. He never, he very rarely does interviews in character, but he'll do these long, he was on NPR a while back, and he had like a 90-minute interview just as himself, uh, and it was really fascinating. Uh, boy, and boy, you want to talk about a guy with an absolutely terrifying, freakish knowledge of Lord of the Rings. I mean, just an unbelievably, you listen to him and he can do the whole lineage of uh, Aragorn. It's really kind of freaky. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, madam, as the case may be. It's Chuck Driver Joe. Hello, sir. Uh, yeah. I'm going to drive a dump truck. I've talked to you guys a few times. And, uh, requiring us to get to the end of the bike lane to make a right-hand turn, you know, that's just, uh, it's impossible. You know, we need a lot of area to make our right turn. So if you're going to switch to this curb... We're going to start running over people on the sidewalk. Well, and this, and this is my understanding of it, that the police are sort of pushing for this idea that cars that are going to make a right-hand turn mosey into the bike lane. The other problem with that, frankly, is that during morning or afternoon rush hour, the line of cars in the bike lane making a right-hand turn is going to be like three <laughs> blocks long, and the bicyclists are never going to get to the intersection because there's always going to be cars there. It, and trucks just cannot physically do that. No, and it's just, and you know, what with the blind spot and the fact that, you, that you know, the following distance and the stopping distance, it just is completely untenable. You know, down here in Salem, we have our bike lanes also. But wherever there's a right-hand turn, the bike lane's on the left of the vehicle. I'm sorry, say it one more time. I missed part of it. Uh, down here in Salem, we have bike lanes. But when it comes to a right turn only, the right. bike lane will be on the left of the vehicle. Really? Yeah. So I mean, they think that's a little smarter way of doing it than they have it up there in Portland. So, so let's see. So if I'm going up the street and I'm going to be turning right, the bike lane transitions to where I am on your left, and then I... Yes, if you're going to be turning right, you're going to cross the bike lane into a right turn left only, and the bike lane will now be on your left. Interesting. Well, that is, I mean, the only thing that's a little tricky about that, now we're really getting into the minutiae, though, is, is to where the bike lane has to cross the middle of the road. Like, there's that section downtown where Madison does that, where the bike lane is on the right, and then the bike lane sort of moves to the middle of the road, and it's exactly it's exactly the same place where all the buses stop. Yeah, but it's, it's just, got a dotted line, and, you know, it's a merging area. Yeah. Well, as a truck driver, I guess I pay more attention, but, you know, when you're in into a merging area, you look in your mirror. Right. You know, just cruise on through. It is. No, this is undoubtedly something that we're going to, the city is going to be addressing this ad nauseum over the next few months, we can already tell. All right, Joe, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Why? Hello there. Is this you? All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. Here's Tim Riley. Well, for the first time ever in Florida, a bulldozer has been used to rob a bank. And where? Florida. Yeah! Ugh, feel that. Somebody stole me. a bulldozer from a construction site and used it to smash through the side of Bank of America. Bulldozer? Mm-hmm. I barely knew her. Damn it. It slammed into two ATMs, but was not known how much money was taken. Officers found hundreds of bank envelopes inside the bulldozer's bucket. They set up a perimeter after the crime, but were able to find the bulldozer in question. The Bank of America remains closed. Time for Geek Watch. Here's your Geek Watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. This high-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Quasar Dilemma, remember you used to... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but cause we were wondering if the quantum flux... Now just listen on there, there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn ship. You got it? Better does. I have two. First, Paramount Pictures is beaming up Simon Pegg to play Scotty in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. 
A pig joins Eric Banner, Anton Yetchen, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Sedina. I don't know any of these people. I don't know who any of these people are. I know Eric Banner because he was in The Hulk. That's it. Well, anyway, they're going to be in the uh, recent uh, big screen inclination of the classic television show. Paramount has set a November start date for the film, which will bow on Christmas Day 2008. I mean, I I know Simon Pegg, obviously, because he was Sean in Shaun of the Dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's, uh, and then he was in Hot Fuzz, too. But that's, uh, everybody else is just sort of a blank to me. I I don't really care that much. I don't either. In the biggest outing in the entertainment industry since Ellen DeGeneres... Wait, hold on. Sarah, do you know the story about Harry Potter? No. Okay. Don't. Let's, let's see if you... Because here's the thing. I, I hate that. I'm sorry, Tim. But I, I knew this immediately before she even said it. So J.K. Rowling the other day casually revealed that a character in the Harry Potter series is the gay. Who is it? Well, can- The, uh, the who's the headmistress lady with the red hair? And... McGonagall. Yeah. Is that your final answer? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you lose. It's Dumbledore, Harry Potter's late headmaster. Oh, I headmaster. didn't see that. Uh, oh, the. Uh, <laughs> it was right there. I had to do it. Um, the no, but the, the, I knew it as soon. As I, I read the headline on Google News, and it was like a rowling out, uh, out Harry read, Potter character. You would read headlines about gay Harry Potter characters. What are you trying to say? No, I'm just nothing saying, wrong with that. Yeah, I'm saying I could see that as a grabbing am, headline for you. Not a lot of people would be interested. But... Grabbing headline. I am just as God oh made God. me, Sarah. No, uh, no, it was on Google News, and they just do you know the headlines for the entertainment world. And it said uh, Rowling outs, and they did, they wrote it as a tease. They said Rowling outs Potter character, and immediately somehow I just knew I'm like Dumbledore, and sure enough. Okay, so so we have the uh, so we're the actual story. Do I read the story too? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to see if she could, if she knew it, but I I immediately guessed who it was. The revelation which came at a Q and A session after reading at Carnegie Hall in New York Friday night was met with cheers. And has uh, left some uh, Canadian Potter fans confused. It seems weird that she revealed it outside the context of the story, said a consultant from Toronto, who was one of hundreds who lined up to be the first to buy Harry Potter and the Deadly Halos in July. It's important to her. I feel she should have put it in the book. Uh, and uh, so that's that. And apparently, the break. We're going to interview Eric Weidenmayer, <laughs> who climbed the highest mountain well in the world, Mount Everest. But. He's gay. I mean, he's gay. Excuse me. I am not gay. He's blind. He's a wizard. <laughs> All right. Uh, and so do you know who the love of Dumbledore's life was? Well, of course you don't. The love, so she revealed that Dumbledore uh, was gay, and then the love of his life was, what's his name, Grindelwald, the wizard that he had the duel with where he got the wand. Where he got the uh, well, the elder one. Give me a second. I could have guessed that. No, you wouldn't have. Yes, uh, I would have. So, but but how great and tragic is that? So then, the love of his life becomes his sworn enemy. Blah blah blah. Fight you with a duel for the elder wand and so forth. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it really is pretty gay. And I and I and I just and I knew it as soon as I saw the headline. It all just sort of clicked in my head. Uh, it really does make more sense. I wish I wouldn't have said McGonagall. Really? Can I just say this? That, well, I could see that, though. I mean, I could, I could kind of see the, uh, the Minerva McGonagall kind of thing going on. But I, uh, can I just say, yeah. and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, and I never, ever, ever thought that I would say these words. It's, it's so unnatural for my mouth to even form this sentence. I have to fight, actually, to make these words come out. I wish Jerry Falwell was still alive. 
Just just so he could be angered by this. Just so Jerry Falwell could just... Because, you know, because hearing this news might actually kill him all over again, mm -hmm. which would be immensely gratifying. Well, that's true. Who's left to be mad anymore? Uh, just Pat Robertson. Oh. That's it. That's all. Just him. Uh, oh, and James Dobson, but I think he's Mitt busy. He's busy. He's busy, uh, busy in a basement somewhere casting spells to stop Hillary from winning the presidency. All right. Uh, do we have? Is that it for the Geek Watch? Yes, it is. There's your Geek Watch for uh, whatever Monday on the Rick and Morty show. Hammer by the Sons of Warvan. I shall avenge you. Next. Oh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous. Fantastic. Mission. All right. Uh, let's do one more here, and then we'll talk to CNN radio correspondent James Roop. All right. Should I do the monkey watch, or should I save that? I think you know the answer to that. Do it. Pull the trigger. Here's your uh, monkey watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. A politician has been killed in a monkey attack. Wild monkeys attacked a senior government officer. Wild monkeys. Who then fell from a balcony at his home and died. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it's just so funny. It is. Mayor S.S. Baja was rushed to the hospital. This is in New Delhi, which is in India. After the attack by a game of racist monkeys. Uh, but succumbed to head injury sustained in his fall. So the monkeys led to it. Um, many government buildings, temples, and residential neighborhoods in New Delhi are overrun by rhesus monkeys and their peanut butter cups. That's scare passers-by and occasionally bite and scratch unsuspecting visitors. Now, have they thought about, you know, not having the place overrun by monkeys? That is a good idea. Last year, the Delhi High Court represented city officials for failing to stop the animals from terrifying residents. They asked them to find a permanent solution to the monkey menace. Uh, part of the problem is that devout Hindus believe monkeys and manifestations of the monkey and the god Humanen uh, feed them bananas and peanuts, encourages them to frequent public places. So they're like gods. Oh, I see. So this is so. Well, they're like Jesus in, in uh, <laughs> India. Monkeys are just like Jesus, Tim. Over the years, uh, city authorities have employed monkey catchers who use langurs. That's a larger and fiercer kind of monkey. To scare away and Wait, catch the little monkey. Hold on, let me understand this. I think we may have discovered the root of the problem. Because they have small... It should be noted that as we're discussing monkeys running amok, Sarah's Lhasa Apso is uh, running around on the counter bumping into the microphone. Sorry. That's okay. That I'm up it. How are you doing? Uh, so let me understand this. There are small monkeys running amok in the city causing mayhem, and so their answer to this was to get a bunch of larger monkeys Completely and release them all over the city? Yes. Okay. I think I've spotted the flaw in the reasoning here. All right. That's some sort of like an infinite paradox loop there. Genius. Monkeys are like Jesus. That's the, uh, mm -hmm. that's the moral we've learned today. So there you go. Fantastic. That's how I want to go. There's your monkey watch for Monday. All right, kids. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. No one. It could be the fire is affecting him. He's been attacked by monkeys. <laughs> oh, and there he is. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson. From Los Angeles, Jim Roof. Hey, hello, sir. Hi. I'm sorry about that. A little bit of an issue there. Can you hear me, sir? I can hear you fine. I'm sorry. A little bit of a, a little bit of a problem there. So uh, sorry. We got to you a couple minutes late. We had a we had an important monkey story to be reading. <laughs> Did you hear that this, that was a courtesy laugh. I can spot a courtesy laugh. Um, so you are, would they have you covering uh, this wildfire? This is, is this, uh, this is around San Diego, is it not? 
No, I'm not in San Diego. I'm not at that one. I'm in one of the fires. There are several of them burning in all seven counties. I'm in uh, Saugus, Canyon Country. Right. This is uh, this particular fire is already number one in the state, so all the resources are here. Um, this, this one so far is about 27, 29,000 acres, something like that. I mean, I don't mean to sound flip about this, but I mean, every, uh, every year we, we talk about the you know, this is unfortunately sort of an annual occurrence down there, and you will say something like this to me. You'll say, well, Rick, so far there's been 35,000 acres that have gone up. I would think at some point the land just couldn't grow f- back fast enough to burn again. I mean, it, it... Well, here's the thing. It's burning in areas that obviously haven't burned before, so you're going to have, I mean, until the area completely burns out, we're going to have these fires. I mean, I've never been at a fire in this particular area. I've been in fires. Remember January, the Malibu fire? That was only about 35 acres or something like that, but it burned down everybody's home. It's Suzanne Summers' home. Uh, the one in Malibu that was burning yesterday was burning around Pepperdine, up in that direction. So there's plenty of places left to burn in California. There's just no place to build. So who, who decides where the resources go? Is that where the governor just sits down and looks at a map and gets a guy and decides who gets firefighters and who doesn't? You know, I think it has a lot to do with what's threatened. And I think the fire that uh, where we are now in Canyon Country has the, is the one where most residences, most homes are threatened, homes and businesses. If the fire is burning uh, away from uh, property and lives, then they, stay, then they divert some resources uh, to uh, to the areas that are that are more threatening. So uh, that's that's the way we assess it anyway. All right. And so, but because we're us, I have to ask this question: uh, Is the fire threatening the home of any celebrity we might either care about or dislike? Well, we don't know that yet. It was it was burning yesterday in that area where Mel Gibson and, and those guys live. Uh, those the hoity torties. Yes. It was it was burning up there, but we don't know what homes they are, and, and that's the thing about right now. They're not even concentrating on what the cause may be. They think possibly down power lines sparked a couple of these things. The one in San Diego was an arson fire. They do know that. But they're more worried right now about fighting the thing against the winds because the winds are real strong right now. Uh. And so they're figuring out, uh, first of all, how to contain this fire. Then they'll go out uh, and figure out how it happened, and then they'll let us know whose homes were damaged, destroyed, or threatened. All right, we're, we're here. So right now it's time with the aggression of L.A. It's, it's where all the overweight white trash all right. lives in the temperate uh, hey, suburban. Uh, Jim, I'm going to let you. Uh, I'm going to let you get back to it there because uh, you, clearly it's a, it's a bit of a day for you. So yeah, sorry about that, man. Not, n- not at all, my friend. I know big that friggin' mess here. Yeah, it's a, it is indeed. So we're going to let you get back. Thanks for checking in with us, my brother. All right, bud. I think on Jim Rope, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus, it was like talking to Henry Blake right before he takes off to fly over the sea of Japan. All right. the humanity. <laughs> really. Yes, indeed. Don't call, but be listening for Tim Riley to say this. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. When you hear that later on, be caller number nine, and you'll uh, win a copy of American Gangster Season 1. In stores on DVD, October 23rd from BET Paramount Home Entertainment. It is the, uh, they are the gangsters everyone is talking about. Uh, it's uh, BET's critically acclaimed crime docudrama. The hard-hitting series featuring true crimes with real consequences. The complete first season hits the streets November 20, uh, I'm sorry, October 23rd, only from BET uh, Home. Does that include serial killers? Or? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't believe so. Let's find out. Who wants to read more copy points from the American Gangster DVD set? I do. 
This gripping original, it actually does look really cool. I'm going to try to snag a copy of this myself. Um, the stunning exploits, multi-million dollar underworld empires, and violence-riddled lives of some of the most notorious African-American crime figures of our time. Tukey Williams, co-founder of the Crips, uh, novel, uh, let's see, uh, and it says novel Peace Price nominee. I'm looking at the letters on my keyboard to see if that was a misspelling or if there is something called a Novel Peace Price nominee. Do you suppose they meant Nobel Peace Prize? Oh, that could be. Novel Peace Price. Yeah, I think so. Maybe they're in a hurry to get this out. Uh, Nikki Barnes, Harlem Drug Kingpin, and Los Angeles reigning crack king. Really reigning? Does that mean he's still the crack king of Los Angeles? Is that like being the mattress king of, uh, it, it, of, it's, of it's Akron? Ra- it's reigning crack kings. <laughs> It's rain and crack. Hallelujah. Uh, Freeway Ricky Ross. I wish I could go with a name like Freeway Ricky Ross. That sounds like fun. It's just not, it's, he doesn't sound like a criminal. No. no. Um, sounds like someone would be doing the twist on the beach. <laughs> he's, he's at the Peppermint Lounge and also selling crack. Uh, Los Angeles reigning crack king. Well, now I'm fascinated. Are there other nominees for that position? I was just going to say, is that was is this like by vote or something? Is it is, is he if sort he of not serve his entire term? If he's the, <laughs> is he the John Larroquette, You know where he's going on his fourth consecutive win as Crack King of. I should have asked Jim Roop if he knew about reigning Crack King Freeway Ricky Ross. Ingenious jewel thieves Troy and Dino Smith, American Gangster, is a fascinating, honest, and cautionary look at the crimes. Apparently, it's not so cautionary. Freeway Ricky Ross is still the reigning crack king. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he's so well-known, they've actually put him in a documentary, and yet he's just still down there do, doing his, getting his slang on, as they say. Um, blah, 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 ruthless inner-city outlaws. Oh, that sounds good. Yes, it does. It'll also sound good when you hear Tim Riley say... Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Later on, and hear that be caller nine later. It's 503-733-2970. Let's do one more, and then Sarah will choose whether I play the Van Halen sound or whether I do some of this pile of crap over here. Tim? Pile of crap, please. No, I was... Okay. Duly noted. Let's do uh, one more, and then I'll get to the pile of crap. Are you talking to me? <laughs> No, I was talking to the dog. Well, never mind. Let's just move to the pile of crap. I'll read one of you. Who did you think I was talking to? I don't know. <laughs> I lost. I kind of lost contact with the show at some when, point. I'm not when, sure when, 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 when did that happen? I think during the last advertisement. Okay. I wasn't sure that it came to an end or if it was going to continue. Here we are. Well, let's talk about uh, Britney Spears' soon-to-be-released new album. It is failing to impress at least one Wait, critic. Do we have a... Is this a Britney watch? No, kind of. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your Britney watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson Show. Gee whiz. Uh, Britney Spears' soon-to-be-released new album is failing to impress at least one critic. The Daily News' Jim Farber says that on Blackout, that's the name of this album, it's due in stores October 30th, the singer Coat comes off like some machine that bleeps and bloops out an array of oohs, ahs, and groans. He adds, in terms of studio trickery, 
Paris Hilton's album was practically unplugged compared to this. Barber does give uh, Spears some credit, saying, She may no longer dance with flair, lip-sync on cue, keep her dress down, and even be judged a suitable mom, but Britney Spears can sure tune up some slamming new songs. He also remarks how wonderful it is that in the world of slick pop, even if one star can't deliver, the machine behind them still can. So there's that. So there's this single that's out, and then the record comes out when? I just lost track of when the record even comes October out. October like 30th. Month? No one cares. I guess that's what? That's next Tuesday, right? I guess so. All right. Just before Halloween. Well, so there you go. Be sure to pick up a copy, won't you? All right, there's your Britney watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson Show. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's uh, go to the pile of crap. Uh, then we'll come back at the bottom with uh, more from Tim Riley. Richie Bristol will join us to talk to us about the, what is it, the Hysteria City. Hysteria City. Uh, and then later on we'll do the top five new songs. Uh, Peter Carlin will join us uh, and more. All right. So this is just a pile of stuff that's been sort of uh, just stacking up over here. There's things I haven't uh, I haven't gotten to for any uh, any number of reasons. First of all, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, this is And because uh, we are now uh, without Scotty at the moment, a lot of these interview requests are coming right to me. Uh, for example, let's see, what have we got here? Um, let's see. Would you like to, in, let, here we go, radio interview opportunity with American Idol finalist, Elliot Yaman. I have no idea who this is. Does anybody know who American Idol finalist Elliot Yaman is? I haven't watched that program in quite some time. I've watched that program once in my entire life. Just a look of unbridled scorn on Sarah's face. Well, who knows? Um, we I'll, have the, the American Idol. Um, here we go, though. Rising pop artist and... Diabetes sufferer uses his star power, star power in this case being a rather relative term, uses his star power for a good cause. Apparently he's going to save lives. Delete. Uh, oh, I did watch an interesting show over the weekend, though. I don't watch a lot of reality programming, and I don't watch a lot of uh, sort of competition reality programming. But I have to tell you, there was a moderately amusing show on, and I made some notes to myself, and I don't think I remember to bring them, though. Uh, they're upstairs somewhere. I made some notes about this program, so I'll just have to give you the ones that are stuck in my head, and I'll, I'll give you, like, further thoughts on it later. It was called, I think it was called The Search for America's Next Great Band or something. But the sort of the sort of shtick of the show is that sometimes the bands are playing cover but sometimes the bands are playing originals, which is actually a thing that I find kind of interesting. Because, you know, the American Idol is basically a karaoke show, as everybody has said. The deal about this hunt for the next great band is the show, the bands have the option of playing original material. And so they get, it's the same format as American Idol. It's like bands come on, they perform for two minutes, and then there's three judges. Guess who the three judges are? Now, on American Idol, even if you don't watch it, you know, there's Paula Abdul, Simon Cowell, and then Randy Jackson. Uh, so on this program, which is the Hunt for America's Next Great Band, and I'll talk about a couple of the bands here in just a second, because there's... I actually watched a little bit of that so show. So you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Did you about. see the country band that was zombie? It was all zombies? No. Okay. So there's this band that came out. They're walking toward the stage, and they're all dressed like zombies. The white corpse paint, black lips, black runny eyes. You know, they look like 800 Octane on the cover of... Uh, with Rise Again or whatever that uh -huh. record of theirs was. I mean, they're dressed like zombies. 
and they're walking to the stage, and I'm thinking, all right, zombie rock, you know. But then at the same time, in the back of my head, I'm also thinking, well, this is something I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of the punk zombie thing, because guys in punk bands love zombies. I don't know what that's all about, but it's true. It's true. So they walk to the stage, and I'm thinking, okay, well, it's a zombie punk band. That's kind of interesting. I don't have the song with me. I'll have to dig it up and play, so to speak. I'll have to dig it up and resurrect it later for playback. But they sing this country music song about being undead. And it's this great, like, total, like, cowpoke country song about being a zombie. It was zombie country. And i got to tell you, it was pretty great, actually. It was, it was not bad. So did you see who the three judges were? I knew two out of the three of them. Who did you, who did you not? Well, I, I didn't know the Australian guy. Yeah, I didn't either. There was an Australian. Like the, the Simon Cowell. The funny part is, Lara called me from the other room, and she's like, hey, guess who the judges are in this American Idol knockoff? That's so weird that I was doing the same thing that you were on a Friday night. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. I expect much better out of you, actually. I know that I nobody know, expects anything from me. No, Lisa Wood from uh, KUFO and I, actually. Really? And, yeah, and we were watching that show. What an exciting life you lead. It's true. Uh, so... They clearly have just Xeroxed American Idol, except, as I said, again, for the, for the fact that some of the bands write their own material, which I do find kind of interesting. That, to me, gives it a little bit of the ring of credibility. Um, so they basically you figure they've got to, like, duplicate each of the roles. So they have the Simon Cowell, the Paula Abdul, and the Randy Jackson. Well, this, they have uh, some Australian snippy guy. So he's the Simon Cowell. They can't get Paula Abdul, of course. She's already busy. So who do you get when you can't get Paula Abdul? Lars shouted from the other room. She's like, guess what they have instead of Paula Abdul? And without even looking at the screen, I just shouted back from my office, Sheena Easton! And goddamn if it wasn't Sheena Easton. <laughs> I mean, so there they go, Sheena Easton. And then, did you see the third judge? Yes. Johnny Resnick from the yes, Goo Goo Dolls. I did. Boy, I saw him in all of his hair. Boy, that's a guy that I just stopped caring about like 15 years ago. You know what I mean? That's a guy who I liked for about a day and a half. We saw him play, remember? We did. They opened for Bon Jovi. Yes, him and his did. big chiclet teeth that he has. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand sometimes why I hate people. I mean, I hate, like most people, I, I hate a lot. I, I spend a lot, probably 98% of my energy is spent hating. I burn more calories hating than really anything except eating, probably. But I don't understand why I hate Johnny Resnick. I just sort of do. And I would guess right now, if you were to walk out on the street and poll 100 people and show them the Goo Goo Dolls and go, hey, this guy who sings for the Goo Goo Dolls, do you hate him? I'm guessing probably 75% of the people hate him. Let's ask, hey, uh, Christopher Scott, screening uh, calls today. Do you hate Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls? You just, uh, just give, type in the screen the yes, yes or whether ye hate Johnny Resnick. Because I'm guessing yes, right there, all caps. Right there, screen, all caps. He is unlikable. But he's just a, he just seems like a dick, and yeah. I don't know why. I have no logic. He's never done anything to me. He doesn't owe me money, never stole my girl. I got no reason to hate Johnny Resnick, and yet I do. Um. Anyway, so yeah, so this, this zombie band plays a country song about being undead. And then there was a bunch of 13-year-olds that played an Iron Maiden song, so that was pretty great. Hmm. Um. Why? How did I get off onto that? I have no idea why I started talking about that. Anyway. American Idol. American, American Idol. Band. Oh, yeah, so I'm not going to interview that. Uh, we'll do a couple more of these things for the pile of crap, and then we'll break. Uh, here's some other things, that because now Scotty isn't here, they all go right to me. Would you like to speak to someone about a marijuana legalization forum that will be held at Clackamas Community College? The answer, by the way, is no. But that's not really, I got that, too. Really? But that's not why I'm reading it. It says, hello, I represent a group of students at Clackamas Community College. Aren't, really, by definition... 
I mean, the fact that it's in uh, that it's in uh, Clackamas, I just sort of know it's a community college. They are putting together. They're putting together. That's together. T O G E T H O R. Together. Putting together a forum for the discussion of the legalization of marijuana. We are wondering if your radio show would be interested in spotting or allowing a representative from our group to come on the air. What does that mean, spotting? Sponsoring? No. We will be having representatives from all over. Was this written while you were stoned? We will be having representatives coming from all over Portland to give their insights on the issue. We are wondering if your radio show would be interested in either spotting or allowing a representative from our group to come on the air and discuss the issues. I, I, okay, well, whatever. And these signs hope to hear from you soon. Not going to happen. But the guy's name, I'm looking at this right now, his name is Don Cheeto. Do you suppose when you're talking about marijuana legalization, you might want not want to have the email sent to me by a guy whose last name is that of a snack food? Don Cheeto? Really? I can't believe you just really said his full name on the... <laughs> well, it's not private knowledge. Don Cheeto, right there at the top. It's true. Not Don Cheadle, famed character actor. I'm talking about Don Cheeto. Doesn't John, doesn't Don Cheeto sound like some sort of a mascot? He'd be like Frito. Yes. He'd be like Frito the Kid or whatever. Or the Frito. Like Chester Cheetah. Chester Cheetah. It, Don Cheeto would be uh, would be Chester Cheetah's arch rival. Well, and, their spacious campus has 17 buildings, including Roger Rook Hall. Really? The art center, the oh. soccer field, track and athletic field. The art center. You know, it's just a lot of paint by numbers books. I just found Don Cheeto's MySpace page. Really? Doesn't Don Cheeto? His name is Evan, a white, proud, liberal, atheist, and American. Whatever. Here's uh, Don Cheeto. I picture being some sort of large Italian uh, cartoon character, but he, but of course he's a Cheeto. He's a snack chip, you know. Hello, Don Cheeto. I come to you because Chester Cheetah has been extorting my numbers business and shaking down my hookers. And then Don Cheeto says, "Like, I will give you a flavor you cannot refuse." Don Cheeto. Don Cheeto. Ma- uh, we're going to break, I guess. Oh, they are for classes of painting cars. <laughs> After you've stolen them. Have you ever heard of Malenga Maroon or Tinder Turquoise? And, and Tipper t- and, and Tyler, too. They're paint colors for cars. Uh-huh. I think, the, I think the key phrase is repainting the car, Tim. Also filing off the VIN numbers. It is Clackamas. Uh, all right, back after this with Tim Riley, the top five new songs later on. Peter Carlin, you say there's the Rick Emerson radio program. Stay there. shenanigans on that it is not shenanigans the whole thing is 200 calories is that one serving or is that the whole box 280 it's one serving it's the whole box 280 so it's 300 no it's closer to 200 it's 280 Uh yeah i thought it was 200 that even that seems a little low you're sure that it's not made out of plywood or something serving size one package 280 calories yep all right fair enough it looks awesome too it prevents heart attacks Uh uh-huh sure 
Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Rick, hey, I got two things for you. Can you just even imagine that interview with the Cheeto dude? With Don Cheeto? Yeah, it's like, hi, Rick. Uh, yeah, like, uh, well, you know, I would like to do, you know, talk about the le- legal. That's your assessment, sir. I'm, that's that's only your assessment. I'm sure that Don Cheeto is a fine, upstanding, forward-thinking, crystalline uh, young man. Yeah, okay, there's that possibility, but, yeah. you know, anything. It's kind of a coin flip, I'm thinking. This is, he, uh, I, and I, I do wonder... Do you ever get these emails and you try to sort of figure it out whether they're for you or whether it's a form letter? I wonder if Sarah got exactly the same letter, actually. It's always a form letter. Should we read ours aloud together and see if they're the same? Well, uh, does yours contain this sentence? Um, here's how you know he's never listened. Since politics are the focus of your local show, <laughs> I imagine that this does not fall very short of being inside your panorama. I'm not even really sure no. what that means. It's a different one. Really? Look at him. Who told him that politics are the focus of this local show? Or that we have a panorama. Thank you very much for your interest in issues surround my interest for your interest in issues surrounding one of the most divisive and important topics of our day. Divisive is, divisive is misspelled, by yes, the way. It is. That's at least I, look, uh, Don Cheeto. I know you must at least have spell checks somewhere. It does not help your cause when you are uh, sending me something about legalizing weed, and then your email is rife with misspelling. So you know, I want to look at that. All right, thank you, sir. Goodbye now, Don Cheeto. Uh, before we go to the uh, news here, let's uh, welcome to the uh, program our good friend Richie Bristol. Hello, sir. Hello. The king of the red shirts. How's life? Good, good. So you went to this, uh, the Hysteria City? Uh, with the, that's the, they were a fine sponsor of ours. Are they the haunted house that advertises heavy metal, chainsaws, madness, and meat? Yes. Did you see all of those things on Friday? Uh, no, actually... I Did, saw three. Before let's, they, okay, well, Do let's, they have a vegetarian fun house without the meat? <laughs> <laughs> and soy. Uh, let me go down the list. Was there heavy metal? Uh, on the weekends. Okay, so there's heavily... Now, is it true uh, they do some stuff they call the children's matinee? Uh, Chainsaws for the younger the for the younger set? Now, is that show substantially different? Because I had a guy email me, and he's like, you know, the, the chainsaws and the meat sound pretty great, but I got a nine-year-old. So, I mean, what is the what is the deal? Do they have... Manual left, sword. Left <laughs> blood, maybe? It's a... It's, it's, yeah, was it scary? <laughs> it's just... It's an ads. Uh, yeah, I got kicked out, actually, after I went through three of them. Oh. All right. Why did you get what? kicked out? They have Misbehavior. rules. Why? What, would, what, what rules what were you, you breaking? Do? There's no touching and no... No touching! No running. No running. Were you running or touching? I ran... Were you running out of fear? I ran over people, actually. Okay, so really it's out not a no fear? running. It's it's not a no running thing. It's a no hurling headlong into other uh, Maybe customers. Maybe they allow skipping. <laughs> ask, if you can, ask if you can run at a uh, canter. So, anyway, so you go through this, and so one of our listeners, actually, is the guy who runs the chainsaw. Was it you that actually said, was it you or Alan who said, quote, about this, uh, this haunted house, that they've had a couple of peers already this year? Uh, that's when I was running when the chainsaw. Uh, really? Excellent. So where would you rank this on the classic 1 to 10 scale in terms of fear? Uh, well, the chainsaws pretty much had me. I, now, I mean, where, you're walking through, does the chainsaw guy, I don't want to give anything away, but, I mean, does he just sort of come out of nowhere? Yeah. All right. That, that, would, that would unnerve you. Uh, I haven't been to a haunted house in a long time because they're always lame. Uh, you know, in the past, I mean, I would go to haunted houses, and it was always just some guy, you know, it was like some guy in like an ill-fitting uh, sort of Tor Johnson mask, you know, standing there, you know, like behind a plywood thing. And that was always kind of the deal. So, in any event. So, where is this at? This is uh, right off of 205 Clackamas Town Center parking lot. Clackamas Town Center. And then we're giving away passes to this as well, are we not? Yes, we are. All right, excellent. So people should be uh, listening for further details and looking at the website and doing whatever. So. Yes. All right, Richie Bristol. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, Richie Bristol, ladies and gentlemen. Hysteria City. Where Do you have the actual location? 
Uh, the parking lot of Clackamas Town Center. All right, so there you go. <laughs> That's pretty simple. That is, it is true. All right, Richie Bristol uh, for Hysteria City. City, city. At the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. Riley, Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. All right, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here. Uh, first of all, the price of gas has gone up to $3 a gallon. That's up from two ninety last week. Six months ago, the average price was three thirteen. So as long as you don't riot, they'll keep raising it. And they know you don't care. Are you trying to suggest something, Tim? Well, no. I mean, in many, many countries, uh, people show outrage over things that are priced no, too high. No, of course not here. Not here. No, because you know why? Because the price of those uh, meat-flavored Doritos continues to stay static. That uh, so price of Doritos doesn't go up. I am okay with everything else. Hmm. That does. I mean, How much are Doritos? I, you know, I don't really know. I'm just sort of, I'm just sort of saying that the, the price of gas, I don't really worry about. The price of my cable bill, the price of pornography, these things are sort of the bellwethers to me. So I'm so not really worried. So the price of gas could else. go up to four dollars, and you wouldn't care? Are you asking me? Yes. The price of gas could go up infinitely, and it's not that I wouldn't care. It's just that, like. I mean, we have this discussion once a year, uh, like every June when the price of gas becomes a big story. What am I going to do? Stop driving my car? I mean, you know, all kidding aside, I do try to bicycle now and again, and I try to take my car, not my truck, because it uses less gas. But, I mean, it's not like I've got some magical vehicle at home that runs on, you know, that runs on wind and dreams. So, you know, they'll continue to raise the price of gas. I will continue to buy gas, and never the twain shall meet. It's like this idiotic thing. Speaking of idiotic things I've gotten in the mail, have have a, either of you gotten this uh, stupid letter from, um, well, I'll read who it's from here in a second, but it's about this Measure 50 thing. You know what I'm talking about? about the smoking tax? Uh, the smoking tax. And I got this letter, and it's the worst kind of letter. It is a, it is like a, it's a political letter. It's, it's trying to sway me one way or the other. I I'm always just... throw away political things anyway. Okay, so do I. But, you know, usually I just throw them away unopened. This one I'm going to shred with extreme prejudice because it's the worst kind. It is like paid advertising trying to pass itself off as folksy thoughts from the little man. Uh, it says here, it's written on what purports to be the letterhead of Carolyn Cannon, owner Pepper's Deli. Oh. I don't even really know if there is a Pepper's Deli. Maybe there is. Pepper's Deli. And by the way, peppers is somehow uh, lacking an apostrophe, so maybe it's just plural peppers. But it says, I mean, who cares that it's from Carolyn Cannon of, of the Peppers Deli? Like, I give a rip. That just sounds so made up. Seriously. It's, and, and the first, Peppers Deli and, in what, in, in Portland? I don't even know. I don't know where it's. I don't know where Peppers Deli is, if it in fact exists. And by the way, Carolyn Cannon of Peppers Deli, how did you get my mailing address? How did it, Pepper's Deli, which I have never heard of, I've never heard of it, I've never gone there, I don't know anybody who's gone there, I've never mentioned it, I've never seen it, I've never driven by Pepper's Deli, and yet somehow Carolyn Cannon, the owner of Pepper's Deli, has decided to start mailing crap to my house without asking me. So I get this. Dear Rick, for the last few weeks, I've received mail and seen ads debating Measure 50, the proposed tobacco tax on this November's ballot. Measure 50's backers talk about children's health care, which I support because I'm a Democrat and an Oregon small business owner. Oh, okay. Blah, 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 blah. 
Anyway, and then she goes on, and it, you know, and it, 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 something you know about how she's all, me a river, Karen. I, she's all she's all opposed to it, and whatever. But I mean, really, what 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 possible reason would that she never mentions the deli? By the way, in the actual text of this political letter, the deli is never mentioned. She never mentions her business again. She never talks about the trials and travails of owning a small business. That's only put there at the top, in my opinion. That is only put there at the top to try to convince me that this is some sort of grassroots campaign that the average working Joe is really behind. Yep, I'm looking at this stuff online. I actually Googled it, and it's funny because a lot of people are talking about this girl saying that they don't know where exactly she's from because they, they looked at it, and it used to be a bar, and now it doesn't look like Pepper's Deli exists. Yeah. So, anyway, I am deeply suspicious of Carolyn Cannon, so-called owner of the alleged Pepper's Deli. Uh, and, by the way, my wife, the same day that I got this, my wife got the same quaint personalized letter written exactly the same way uh, that arrived for her. So... Uh, How much is breakfast at Pepper's Deli? I don't know. I, let's call and ask what their blue plate, blue plate special is. I wonder if there is a Pepper's Deli, actually. We could call information, I suppose. We should... Uh, okay, we'll do that later. We'll call... Uh, so I would like to say... There's, uh, a, there's a huge blog on Oregon Live, too, about did anyone get a, a letter from Pepper's Deli? Yeah, I mean... That's so weird. So, by the way, I'd like to say that whatever I may have said about uh, Measure 50, I am, now, I am now wholeheartedly in favor of it. Oh. Just as a personal little uh, slight from me to Carolyn Cannon. I am now going to do everything I can to see to it that Measure 50 passes. It says there's a Pepper's Deli in Silverton. Really? Okay. I'm going to do everything I can simply to annoy Carolyn Cannon. Owner. You want to call and see if Carolyn Cannon works there? Pepper's I have, Deli. I have the number. No, that's what we'll do it later. No. I'll do it. Oh, I'll but do we're it going to, right? Maybe next. Oh, yeah. No, we'll do it next okay. hour. Well, let so, me write it down. So because of well, this... she feels so you know, free to contact you. I mean, why should you not call her? Seriously, taking up my mailbox space. 9415. <laughs> <laughs> so... Thanks so much for annoying me and intruding into my life, Carolyn Cannon, owner of Pepper's Deli. All you've done is to ensure that I will do uh, everything I have. I will use all means at my disposal now to advocate swift and secure passage of Measure 50. I don't even know what it does, but I'm in favor of it. It's now. at 323 Westfield Street in Silverton. All right. Silverton. If you happen to go by, be respectful, won't you? All right. There you go. Is this the cigarette tax thing? Is that what it is? Yes. I guess it is, because that's what prompted me, because you were talking, Tim asked me how high the gas price would have to go. Yes. But the thing is, the answer about the gas price is the same answer about the cigarette price. As we've already said, you know, they could charge $9 a pack and smokers should still buy them. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make, pick on smokers. It's just like, well, it's the same point with gas that you were making. Yeah, or I coffee. I mean, there's nothing you can do. You know, if Pay they, five bucks for gas, you need to get around. They, you know, they charge me $15 for a, for a, you know, a pound of coffee. I'd pay it because i got to have my coffee. What am I going to do? Not buy it? So it doesn't really matter. They, I don't care one way or the other about the cigarette tax. It doesn't bother me at all. Uh, all right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. It's Maria. Hi, Maria. How are you? Good. I had a story about the Hysteria City. I think my daughter's one of the peers. Really? Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, maybe less so for your daughter. Please do explain now how this came to be. Well, my daughter's 12, and she insisted with her girlfriend that they wanted to go to Hysteria City Friday night, dragged me out at 1030 at night, and as we got out of the parking lot, a really creepy-looking clown, one-eyed white, one-eyed red with blood kind of colored on the side of his mouth, started walking, or more like skipping in a really... Ugh. Oh, the clown skipping is the, is the detail that really sends shivers up my spine, by the way. The well, clown... maybe they're not allowed to run anymore. It's just like at the Hillsboro uh, School. The, the clown walking is one thing, a clown skipping towards you. That's all kinds of wrong. Well, needless to say, after seeing the clown, she had to pee. So we... T well, of course. Took her to the little uh, porta potty and as she was in the porta potty 
this clown proceeds to bang on the porta potty. Okay, let's... and it's dark in there. She's twelve. Hold on. Tried... Yes. Let me know. Let me now stop and ask what everybody is thinking. How do you know this clown worked for Stereo City? <laughs> I kind of don't. There you go. You have you have really only the clown's word to go on here. Yes. Did the clown speak? Um. Yes. Just said, do you want to hold my flower? Do you want to smell my flower? And um, you know, she she ran out of the porta potty. At which point, another clown started skipping towards the two girls. And I said, you know, they just want to play with you girls. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. And they just started chanting, "We just want to play with you. We just." This other clown was a really tall clown. It sounds like eyes. you're describing suspects to a cop who's taking yes, down like a... he looks like he could be... Sounds like I'm doing it like a suspect composite sketch. No, 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 He had a big red nose. No, the shoes were floppier. Yes, Not a no work release so. program. Now, did you... Were the clowns... Did they just arrive in a van of some kind? Or no, do you they think they... they were walking the different... Walking around. Really banging. This was not even inside. This was before we even bought tickets. Really banging on the lavatory while your daughter was trying to go, yes, saying, would you like to I smell my flower? <laughs> okay. Um... And then they started chasing the two girls towards the parking lot. The two girls were screaming. Yeah. And it looked like a horror movie because they're trying to open the doors and trying every door to see which door was open. And I'm... I... Was just laughing. I probably could have peed my pants. I'm really giving you like 50-50 that they even work there. Really, let's just uh, let's just good old-fashioned fun. Call it what it, it is. Could have been, but needless to say, by the time we got into the car, we didn't even they could they wouldn't even go in. Uh. They they were crying, and my daughter's like, I think I peed myself. Her daughter, who I mean, <laughs> a job his, well done. Her friend, who wears tons of makeup. Had cried all of her makeup off. Excellent. She cried her makeup away. <laughs> Those were tears of joy. <laughs> and also home, terror, but mostly joy. When we got home, um, my little daughter has a clown nightlight. I said, you, would you like me right to have a clown nightlight yeah. in your room so you guys won't be afraid tonight? <laughs> now you're an evil parent. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Thank you, Maria. Anyhow, bye-bye. Excellent. That's wonderful. Excellent. Well, you know, I mean, really, I don't care what you do for a living in any and all fields. If you can make someone urinate against their will, that really is the mark of success. I mean, we'll hear those stories every now and well, again. We teach you that in clown school. Yes, seriously. Right after how to dispose of the body. Uh, I'm sorry, was that out loud? Oh, by the way, Rick, my wife and I both got the letters from Pepper's Deli. We also got a letter exactly like that purporting to come from a school teacher. A school teacher who hates children. Uh, let's see. What else? Um, we've a got the... girl chasing clown. I got the same letter last week. I did an extensive Google search, and there is no Pepper's Deli, says this email. I did take great pleasure placing it in the fireplace, he said. Um, but you, but somebody said that you found a Pepper's Deli. Yeah. yeah. It says here, it's at 323 Westfield Street in Silverton. All right. But, I mean... And, and, and handily enough, there is no address given at the top. It just says Carolyn Cannon, owner, comma, Pepper's Deli, no address, no phone number, no email, no anything. Don't you want to call Pepper's Deli and find out exactly how it is she got my name and my address? I suppose. I'm trying to think of who I would have given money to. Basically, let's just call it what it is. I'm trying to think of who hoard out my address to this woman. I mean, I can only think of a couple a couple places well, where the state. I mean, just gives out anybody's address. Is to that true? Does the state of Oregon sell you, your address? You know how I know? Because when I registered to vote, they spell my name wrong on the registration, and uh, all these letters that are coming 
are arriving with one letter well, left out of my name. Well, that was, that was your mistake, Tim Riley. You know, all problems start with registering to vote. Once you start taking part in the process, your life goes to hell. I mean, really, it's true. That's how I know. Can I tell you what I used to do when I lived in Utah? Oh, please do. When I, <laughs> Thank you. When I lived in Utah, um, when I would uh, subscribe to a magazine or buy anything online, I would use a fake middle initial. And then anything that came addressed to that fake middle initial, I knew could go right in the trash. Oh. Like Rick E. Emerson. Yeah. Well, so yeah, because my middle initial is my middle initial is K, uh, but I would I would I would put like you know Z or whatever. Uh, and so if anything came to Rick Z. Emerson, I would just go well into the trash with that because I knew that they got it from this mailing list. I knew that it was sold to them. So I would strongly advise that if you sign up for anything or if you buy anything online, anytime you have to put in your information, if you can, put a fake middle initial. And then that, as soon as you see that in your mailbox, you know you can throw it away. Or if you have lousy handwriting, it takes care of itself. Yeah, <laughs> the problem just sort of works itself out. Uh, let's do uh, two more. We'll break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Peter Carlin. Then we'll attempt to talk to Carolyn Cannon, owner, so-called, of the alleged Pepper's Deli, which purports to exist somewhere. Uh, and then later on, we'll do the top five new songs uh, and so forth. Here's Tim Riley. People who live in Malibu are fighting for their lives. This restaurant uh, re resident, I'm still thinking about Pepper's Deli, this resident describes how those who live there are coping with this fire. Malibu is closed even to residents today. And so the people that are here are staying here because they know that if they leave, they won't be able to get back and protect their homes. This Malibuian describes your ordeal trying to escape the blaze. My car stalled. I uh, restarted does. it. It stalled again, restarted, stalled again. I wound up putting it in neutral. I backed out of the smoke. People behind me were outraged because I was, I was blocking the traffic. Um, I worked my way to the side, and smoke came up from my engine, and my car was on fire. And the man from the hockey mask just kept walking towards the car, slowly, implacable. Then a Tampa man may have been shot, but that wasn't going to keep him from visiting his family in New York. A 37-year-old man, William Nataro, was uh, shot three times, but he boarded a U.S. air flight in Tampa on Saturday. He told police he was shot with a woman during a uh, dispute at 3 in the morning. He added that he dressed his wounds so he could make his flight. The injuries didn't appear to incapacitate the man, and they're investigating the incident. That's two. Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at this letter from Carolyn Cannon. I was listening. I'm trying to find Carolyn Cannon's phone number. Excellent. Good for you. Carolyn Cannon? Well, she felt free to contact us. No, I mean, she made the first step. It would be rude of you not to write. She did. To contact her <laughs> it would be rude, of, be rude of me not to let everybody know how they can talk to her and thank her for her uh, observations her. about Measure 50. Will the real Carolyn Cannon please stand up? All right. Take a break here. We'll come back with Peter Carlin. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming by. Coming up later on, Tim Riley will join us from the Ministry of Truth. Uh, and we will uh, have today's top five as well. Top five new songs. All right. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Program with a heart full of hate and a head full of things that go... Bing, uh, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Hello, sir. Yo, dude. I really meant to be funnier than that just now. I'll come up with something witty later and email it to you. Okay, groovy. All right. Let's, talk, let's talk about, um, uh, first of all, the uh, Mad Men season finale, because there is nothing Sarah enjoys more than extended discussions of a program that she has never seen and has no plans to watch. So, Mad Men, uh, first season finale, uh, last Thursday. Uh, how do you feel about it? Go. 
I'm down. I'm into it. I love that show. I think it's cool. I thought it was kind of strange that Peggy turned out to, like, be giving birth to a kid that she had no idea that she was pregnant with. Now, my... Like, that doesn't really happen very much, but maybe she's, like, deeply weird and in total, like, denial beyond the nth degree, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to go there. It's like... Here's the thing. I know bitch, moan, and complain, blah, 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 that never happens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, it's a TV show, and it's it's like playing in a larger sort of like, uh, you know, um, a larger kind of um, um, imagistic. Is that even a word? It's playing in a larger field. It's like it's like evoking feelings and stuff, which it does largely through super realistic stuff. But every so often, if it dives off a little bit into the surreal, I can go there. You know, I'm like I'm willing to make that leap. Well, it's so. because they because they sort of earn that right because the show is so firmly rooted in reality and it's sort of, uh, I guess, kind of colorful but very realistic and very linear day to day existence. That every so often when they do some weird flight of fancy, they sort of they've sort of got credit in the bank to do that. You know, um, my my wife's whole thing. My wife and I, because we're really lame, we did this whole thing where uh, we had watched the finale at separate times. And I came home and I said, I said, before you tell me your thoughts about Mad Men, because she, she told me, she's like, oh, I'm going to watch it tomorrow while you're at work. So mm-hmm. I came home and I said, before you tell me anything, I said, let's get two pieces of paper and, and a pen. And we each wrote down what we, A, thought was the best scene, and B, the most confusing scene. And then we, like, swapped answers to see if we came up with the same thing. And she actually didn't find the Peggy suddenly being pregnant thing strange at all. Her whole take on that was that, A, she spotted it with the weight gain all season long. And B, yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, which I didn't. I thought Peggy was just becoming a stress eater. And because she's got all that new responsibility. And my other take on it was that, that really... Um, the, the, on that program, the, the, because it does take place in 1960, where it's still very much, as James Brown would say, a man's 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 world, that the only way that women could really get to the top at that point was to sleep their way to the top. And her whole take, you know, rather my thought was that they were just sort of making her fatter as the series went on to see what would happen to her when she didn't even have that option open to her. Mm. My wife's take, though, was that it was uh, shown as a microcosm of how sexually repressed that era was, that she would have sex and then it would never even occur to her as she started getting larger that she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I still don't even know how I feel. It just felt very, like, sort of deus ex machina. Uh, like they just sort of needed something weird to happen to her and suddenly, bam, here's a baby. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, lar- but see, here's the thing. I think that show, I mean... That last episode in particular was about uh, was about family and history, and how you are or are not defined by it, and and Draper's like refusal to be defined by his family. I mean, the family that he was born into, or the family that raised him, and the family that he's raising now. You know, his complete inability to connect with them, which has sort of become a point of pride for him, and it was in, in many ways a distinctly American thing to not be defined by your past, right? So. What his intense his intense hatred for Pete Campbell is largely about the fact that Campbell is like a legacy. He's he sure. comes from this rich family in New York, you know. So he's all about being defined by his family and his past. And Draper just can't abide that in any way, shape, or form. And so that's the, that's the main conflict here. And then what we, I think what we understand with the you know when we see Peggy like completely unable to bond with or or even care about this child that she has whose whose existence she's denied 
you know. And who is Pete Campbell's kid, unless I'm missing something? Yes, totally. Which is especially weird. So it makes you wonder, I, as much as I hope that they're not going to keep the kid around, I mean, I suspect they will because it's just too dramatically compelling not to. Mm-hmm. I mean, so uh, the there was the, the other weird moment was when uh, Don Draper's wife, who I just find to be the most uninteresting and off-putting character, uh, they had that moment where she was talking to, the, to what's her name's weird buck-toothed kid, and I guess the I guess that that sort of underscores the whole notion that she is so childlike and so sort of emotionally underdeveloped, and that even when she goes to talk to a child, not even the child can identify with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's you know, I guess that's the that's the thing, and it, I do have to say that they really did with they did this fake ending, uh, where Draper comes home and his wife is there and everything is great and she throws her arm around him, and uh, they really got me hook line and sinker with that until they cut right to him coming home and it's the empty house and then they play the Dylan song, and I mean it really was an incredibly powerful ending. Yeah. Um, Probably it felt very, uh, if I can say this, very very Sopranos-esque. As much as I don't like that wife character, I will say that sequence when Draper is sitting there at the dining room table and she is revealing how uh, a friend of hers just discovered the husband is being unfaithful and she is clearly talking to Don and she is saying between the lines, look, I know you are effing somebody else. Mm -hmm. And just that hate stare that she gives him is just one of the most unsettling things I've seen in a long time. I mean, it was very, really just amazingly powerful. Yeah, 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 totally. And, uh, And that then sort of dovetails in with the polar opposite of that scene, which is just this very cold, very uncomfortable scene to watch. And then they go right into that sequence with the the carousel, which is just one of the best written things, probably the best written scene in that series all year. Um, yeah. So much so that, I mean, it makes you wonder exactly how it is that they really did market that slide carousel, uh, you know, whatever, in 1960. I mean, it was just, it was just, I don't know who wrote this episode, but it was really, really well done. Yeah, totally. No, I absolutely agree. Anyway, so there's Mad Men. So that's coming out, what, on DVD probably this year? Yeah, I imagine, probably within weeks or months. Because you had done, a couple weeks back, you had done a piece on shows that people aren't watching, but that they really ought to give a second chance to. Mad Men was one of the shows. What, would, what else was on the list of stuff that people should be watching, but that, that, that they are not? Um, 30 Rock. 30 Rock. And Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights, which I actually... See, that's the thing, is I'm just now finishing... Uh, I finished uh, 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 Mad Men. I'm finishing a ba- uh, Season 3 of Battlestar Galactica, and then i got to find something else to watch. So I think I'm going to catch up on Friday Night Lights. I think because I only ever saw... I, I read the book, saw the movie, and then I only ever saw the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think that's probably going to be the next thing in my queue, as they say. Yeah, so. no, totally. You should totally be checking that out. Tell me a little bit about Pushing Daisies. It's a show that, um, it's kind of a strange concept-heavy show about this kid, this guy that figures out as a child that um, he has the power, his touch has the power to both bring dead people back to life, and then um, if he ever touches them again, make them die permanent-like. Well, all right then. So um, it's kind of, and the thing is, I've only seen the pilot, so now I'm a couple weeks behind, but um, but everyone's very into it. It's very stylized. It's very colorful. It's very surreal, as you might imagine. And um, and uh, so that's it's uh, that's what it's about. Right. And it's very cute and funny in a lot of ways. But but so anyway, it, it also becomes this kind of weird fairy tale esque crime procedural because he he ends up be sort of being teamed up with this with this detective, and they make all this money by. Um, you know, um, tracking down murderers and unsolved unsolved.
crimes because they just wake up the dead person and say, who killed you? <laughs> now, it just the, the show, from what I've seen of it, and I haven't watched it all the way through, it does look very stylized. It looks very totally. sort of Tim Burton-esque. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're into that. And so it's, it's, it's neat. I like the show. I mean, when I saw the pilot, it, it was very cool. But um, whether it can sustain that, I don't know. All right. Uh, and before we kind of wrap things up here, uh, A, what is irritating you at this very moment in time, if anything? This is sort of the Dude, essay. I don't even know where to begin or no, no, no. end. This, I mean, what? what, what? This, this is the essay question section of this interview. The essay question? What yeah. irritates me? You know, me? it's like they give you the multiple choice, then the true false, and at the end they give you an essay question. This is the, just at this moment, pick a thing that is irritating you. Wow. I think that the, uh, I tell you, I'm not downtown right now, but every time I do go downtown, I can't believe how ridiculous it seems to me that that the city has essentially made all of downtown impassable at the same Completely. time. Oh, God, well, I mean, just be glad you don't have a business. That you, that you, well, that's I mean, the thing. It's like, on the one hand, it's like, I'm sure that they think they're enhancing business in some way by coming up with an even groovier bus bus mall and, and all this. But I, I think that, like, these little businesses are, are going to die because nobody can – who can stand to go down there? There's nowhere – there's no way you can get in and out of town without passing at least two or three major, huge, traffic-congesting uh, tie-ups. And that they are doing it all at once. All at the same time. All at once. I mean, right. even on, and I will tell you this, if I know I'm going to have to go through downtown, I, I try to bicycle to work that day, but even bicycling through downtown, this is how bad it is, yeah. even bicycling through downtown takes like three times as, as long as it did. Yeah, you can't cross the damn street. No, no. I mean, I think it's a little absurd where you're constantly having to cross the street just to get across, you know, you have to cross like right to left just to go straight. Yeah. No, it's. I actually have to go three or four out of the blocks out of my way just on the bicycle. So, no, I am with you on that. When did, do you even know when that's supposed to be finished? Like 2012, oh, I think. Jesus. It's like the Burnside Bridge, which is just one long, ongoing sort of Sisyphean disaster. Yeah. Uh, all right. And finally, uh, Peter Carlin, I may have asked you this before. Peter Carlin, what is your favorite Billy Joel song? Dude. Um... I'm sorry. It's like I've just asked you to talk about the quadratic equation. Exactly. My favorite Billy. I mean, I do. I know I have one. Oh, I know. You know what? That album, The Nylon Curtain, has a whole bunch of great songs on it. There's it's all about Vietnam. It called Laura. Yeah. And there's another song called She's Right on Time. All right. Those well, are right up there for me. Thank you for not saying goodnight, Saigon. Oh, God, no. That's a horrible, horrible song. It's a terrible song. It's with the worst, it's got like the worst reverb uh, of, of any song ever recorded. Yeah. Because it's got, so dark as night, 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 night. It's, like the, it's the worst, and then it's got that line. This is the one that always sticks in my craw. It's not like I'm some guy who is in the Nam and is all personally offended by it or anything. But he's singing, I mean, the whole album is about Vietnam. And, and he's got this song, Good Night Saigon, where I swear to God, his big lament in the song that he chooses, you know, not not the, like the horrific genocide and the rules of engagement and the maiming and the killing and the, the political strife and just the, the the grind of you know man against man. His big <laughs> song he goes, "We had no soft soap." That's his big line in the song. Yeah, well, I think he's using that as an image against something else. I think you got to find something else to be angry about I don't about that song. Think so? I think Billy Joel is just a bad songwriter sometimes. Now he's, he's well, well, that much is true. I think Billy Joel is not so much an artist as he is an artisan. I think Billy Joel sort of kind of intellectually knows how to construct a pop song, but because it doesn't come from the heart, he has always struck me as a very clinical songwriter. He's effective. He's written some songs that I really like. Mm -hmm. But I think I, Billy Joel to me is sort of like Phil Collins in that 
he's able to sort of construct a pop song that sort of really works like mathematically and on paper. Like you look at it and there's really nothing wrong with it, but but it just doesn't really seem organic. It doesn't seem like it comes from the soul, you know? Well, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird. On the one, he's kind of a Salieri type figure. He's great. You are the only person who has ever said that about Billy Joel, by the way. Really, you think? No one has ever compared Billy Joel to Salieri. He is he is the Salieri to what Elton John's uh, Wolfgang Amadeus? No, not Elton John. Um, if he's Salieri, who's Mozart? Well, that's a really good question. Maybe Elton John comes closest, <laughs> except for the fact that he's written so many crappy songs over the last 25 years, too. I suppose. If only he'd been poisoned early on. You know, I don't know. It's complicated. But Billy Joel, I sort of have to give it up for him in a lot of ways because he's got an amazing melody. He can write amazing to, like uh, melodies and, and, and stuff. He's no one to really sneeze at, but he is an underachiever. It's true. And I think largely it's because he just doesn't, you know, yet you're right. He over-intellectualizes things or does things on a clinical level. I think it's good. he's one of those guys that is classically trained and has oh, a... Oh, cl- you know what his other problem is? Mm. I think it's maybe the biggest problem is that deep down he's a dick. <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem. Excellent. For, for the win. All right. Fantastic. Excellent. See, it's those kind of, it's what Hunter Thompson would call a little buried word jewel right there. Just a little gem, Peter Carlin. God bless you, sir. Uh, All right, my friend. God, God bless us, everyone. Indeed. Hey, are you a David Lee Roth fan? No. All right. Never mind then. Go. Okay. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Yes, you do. them in print in the Oregonian or online at OregonLive.com. Peter Carlin, ladies and gentlemen. I love that guy. You know, the problem is, deep down, he's a dick. Not Peter. Well. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, let me play this into the break, Sarah. Uh, and then we'll come back with Tim, and then we'll do the top five new songs. Um, all right, so I mentioned this. This is, uh, by the way, I have posted this uh, at my blog. So if you go to rickemerson.com, you will be able to see the accompanying video. Um, but this is the... Um, this is the Van Halen audio I was talking about earlier, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it actually sort of, you know, that it works. I'm, I'm unsure about where this happened. It was over the weekend, and it was like South Carolina or Michigan or someplace. But what you're going to hear, and I hope this carries over the sort of the AM frequency, because it does kind of quash music down a little bit. You're going to hear the Jump song uh, start. You're going to hear, you know, Jump by Van Halen off their 1984 album uh, start. And then you're going to hear Eddie Van Halen's guitar come in, and the two are not going to be at all in tune with one another. The keyboards are going to be off in one key, and the guitar is going to be off in a totally other key. David Lee Roth will be paying attention to none of it. He's just kind of off in his own little Rothian existence. But Eddie Van Halen, and God bless him, they played valiantly for about five minutes trying to get this song back in tune, and it never worked. So I hope this carries... If you if you listen to this and don't get the sense of what it's like, I encourage you to go to my website and watch this video, especially so you can see Eddie Van Halen running back and forth from speaker to speaker, from effects pedal to effects pedal, from amp to amp, trying to get his guitar in tune. So we'll go ahead and... Uh...
the guitar is just entirely and totally out of tune. Oh, my God, that is such a cluster. Okay, I can't, I can't take any more of it. We're just going right to a break here. I can't take any more of that. There you go. You can see it all at rickemerson.com. Back after the... Oh, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 503-733-2970. Rick, I was privileged enough to be invited to Van Halen's dress rehearsal in L.A. a month ago. They rocked. They seem to have any kinks worked out. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. To be fair, I don't think it's their fault. It's not Eddie Van Halen's fault. Uh, it clearly is a fault with the backing tracks. They're playing that jump synth line off of a tape or something. And it's just at the wrong speed. And it's clearly at the wrong speed because it's not just in the wrong key because he's unable to transpose. You know, he can't, he can't find a fret that works. Anyway. All right. Uh, let's take this call. Then we'll go to uh, the Ministry of Truth. Then we'll do the top five. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, you know, I'm glad that I have Mondays and Tuesdays off, and may I just uh, open this call by saying that I really appreciate sort of the uh, pop culture political asylum that is the Dennis Miller Show and then followed up by you. So Thank you. Um, it, you know, I'm going to take a lot of heat with this call because I've turned your show on to a lot of friends and family, but uh. I just want to say, um, you know, and I'm sure that it's going to uh, invariably end up in sort of some sort of text message version of rock and roll, who would you do after I hang up? But, you know, I've been You following... have a strange way of speaking, by the way. Thanks, man. That's just no, no, exactly no. what a 32-year-old guy wants to hear. No, no, no. I'm hey. not, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying you. This is you do sort of a. Have you been on the radio? Well, uh, what do you no, do for I, a living? I'm in. <laughs> I'm in sales. Really? Okay. Well, that explains. I was going to say. I don't mean. I'm not trying to knock you when I say you have a strange way of speaking. I mean you. You have a very um, uh, performance-style way of speaking. You. Uh, you. You have a very sort of flamboyant, theatrical way of talking. Well, and if there's any single ladies on the line, I also smell really good for a fat guy. Wah, wah, okay. So listen, my whole Van Halen thing, I, I didn't, I, uh, I'm, I'm a... I, a fat guy? Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Okay, so 1992, I'm 14 years old, I pick up my first guitar, my very first concert ever was Van Halen. So I'm, I'm just going to cut right to today and say that, you know, I, I follow you, of course, through performance, being a performance artist, I can understand, you know, this probably wasn't anybody's fault except for those involved, uh, you know, in the background. But I, I have to say that, that, you know, after seeing that, it forced me to kind of go and check up other YouTube spaces that had other clips of other shows that they've been doing on this tour. And i got to say, if I look at somebody like uh, Alan Holdsworth, George Lynch, Paul Gilbert, uh, some, you know, other players of his ilk that are his age or older, so he cannot use age as an excuse, you know, Eddie Van Halen really needs to get his chops up. And I think that he is the worst player on the stage. And uh, it pains me. It's the, it's the 600-pound silverback gorilla on my back to say it because Van Halen is the only band that I listen to that has any kind of top ten you know, usually I'm Mr. Underground, Mr. Death Metal, Mr. Electronic, or whatever. But this is, you know, they were my first, and it, 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 like, broke my heart. And so, anyway, I just, I don't know why I had to say it on the air today, but I appreciate the forum. That was, like, four minutes of solid speaking. I'm impressed. Danke. Oh, and by the way, I just found this crisp $5 bill in my uh, glove department here as I was talking. So, <laughs> hey, you guys have a great afternoon. Thank you. Bye. That was great. Here's Tim Riley. Excellent. Well done. Best audience ever. Of truth. This is Does it, Can I ask you this? Does it sound terribly... I didn't want to say this because it makes me sound like a weird, freakish, self-centered bastard. But 
It was sort of like listening to me. It was just sort of weird. Like it was just this nonstop torrent of words that kind of made sense, but just veered from one subject to another without seeming to pause for breath or any sort of clarity. And a little, a little weird, a little shock of self-recognition there. But that had a definite ending. Unlike this program. Here's Tim Riley. The only definite ending we have is a three. Here's Tim Riley. So these uh, New York taxi drivers are going to go on strike, are they? They're protesting the mandatory installation of GPS technology and credit card machines. In the TLC's version, the labor is going up and the incomes are coming down. We cannot stand for that. Are you picketing me? Are you picketing me? Yes, uh... Taxi driver. This is, uh... <laughs> that was so dumb. Despite thousands of objections over this nonsense technology, the city seems to be more invested in the technology than they are in the hard-working men and women who make this industry run. And now for comment, we go to a five-year-old girl standing out front by the horsey ride. The senior doesn't need it. Drive no, see, with it. the last just, uh, That was a, a failed uh, joke right there. That was Karam <laughs> Okay, whatever. Not that any of this matters to anyone. No. I think we should move right along here to the uh, top ten. Here's your top five. <laughs> then let's be done for the day. How do you feel about five, that? Here's your top five. Four, three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting is the best thing to do. Counting is happiness, counting is ecstasy, I love to count Don't you? Ladies and gentlemen, here with today's top five is the one and only Timothy Riley. And as we plunge headlong into a search for the next Scotty J, we ponder the sensation of newness and all that entails. And we delve into this exploration. Let's uh, take a moment to examine the word itself with these, the top five news songs. Well, I will mention it's enough, enough, and new thing. Little enough's enough. This is for Sarah's friend Lisa. I don't even really like these guys, but it was an excuse to tell this Chips Enough story that I don't know if I'll have time to tell it later. Remind me to tell the Chips Enough story. All right. Here come the emails from right. Chips I, Enough. Until I catch up. Yeah. Enough's I enough. I told you Chips Enough story. No, 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 I haven't. I didn't. I deliberately did not tell it on the air. Because at that point, Outlaws was a paying, uh, they were a sponsor anyway. And so I deliberately did not to, did not tell uh, that story. Okay. We, uh, we brought um, L.A. Guns and Bullet Boys to town. And then a few months later, we did uh, Bullet Boys, Enough's Enough, and Britney Fox. Uh, Britney Fox are actually really good. Um, but I have a fantastic story from that night that I have never told. So Enough's Enough were kind of interesting. They had a kind of an interesting gimmick going on. You know, they still have a pretty rabid fan base, which is a little unlikely, but all right. Top five new songs. Number five, the Inexes, a new sensation. This is a great song. Have you noticed, though, how because of his kind of embarrassing rock and roll death, we just sort of don't talk about Michael Hutchins? You know what I mean? Like the overdose, well, a... car wreck, car crash, yeah. suicide. It's just a joke form that he's brought up anyway. Yeah, I mean, you hang yourself while masturbating. So, bad form, sir. I mean, you can die from almost anything as a rock star, and people will still, you know, it'll be sort of cool in a way, you know. Gun down on stage, doesn't matter. You get any sort of rock star death, you know, it's still kind of, it's still kind of bitching, except for this. You, well, it doesn't encourage other children to try it. No, kids don't try this at home. 
You know, I was listening to the Dennis Miller show the other day, and Sal was actually speaking sort of freakishly uh, well-informed about autoerotic asphyxiation. Because Dennis Miller was like, well... There's something especially gross with him talking about it. And Dennis was like, well, blah, 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 from the shower rod. And Sal was like, no, 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 that's usually done while kneeling in front of a door handle. <laughs> it was like really weird. And there was no pause at all. Like without missing a beat, he mentioned it. Counting down the top five new songs, Tim Riley. Number four, Everclear. I will buy you a new line. And I know that we're not supposed to put anything by Everclear in any sort of best list of anything ever. But you can't deny. You cannot deny the pop songwriting sensibilities of one Arthur Alexakis. Now, granted, there's a certain stylistic similarity, let's say, between many of his compositions. But you know what? I would be It would be disingenuous for me to say that I did not consider this to be a really great pop song. It's well written. It's a fantastically written song and great production. Um, and I know that it's very similar to Santa Monica in a lot of ways, but I do believe... Well, let me just say it. Of all of the songs he's written that sound like this, this is the best one. Mm -hmm. Way better than Father of Mine, way better than like the other 15 songs that all go, dun-dun, whoa, hey, hey, dun-dun, yeah. It's a good execution of the English language. It, yes. And I know a lot of people find fault with the fact that he says new twice in the chorus, but I think that's by design. I do believe that is a stylistic choice he's made. I'm not going to digress about it here. I'll leave that to the 600-pound silverback gorilla collar guy. I do love that line about they have never joined the, the known the joy of a welfare Christmas. That's a great line. And you got to play it because it mentions the West Hills. It's a great song. It really is. Also, the line here is the money that I owe you will uh, make all of us laugh until the end of time. <clears throat> Counting down the top five new songs of all time, Tim Riley. Number three, Melody with a brand new key. I love this song. You know this song, don't you, Sarah? I don't think so. <sighs> okay. Tim Before I play it. this, everybody knows this song of a certain age and up. Also, it was made famous for a new generation in Boogie Nights because this is the song that is playing when Dirk Diggler has relations with Roller Girl for the first time at uh, Jack Horner's house when Jack is auditioning Dirk Diggler, uh, then known as Eddie from Torrance. Um, this song is written it, written from this girl named Melanie, who's a singer-songwriter. She also has a song called Lay Down Candles in the Rain about Woodstock, but this is the song that she is known for. It's a song that is both, I hate to use this phrase because it makes me, it, I hate using this word, but there's no other word for it. It is kind of a weird, sexy song, but it's also like a creepy song because she sings it like a little girl. And she was, I think, 24, but she sings just like a little girl. And the baby's piano is being... And there's a little child's piano in the background, and it is the most blatant collection of sexual double entendres and innuendos you will ever hear. So I will let it play without comment. There is at least four lines in the song that you kind of listen to it, and you've got to go, really? Really did she just say that? But she gets away with it because it's an innuendo sung like a little girl. It's a huge hit. I do like the song. It's a great song. I ride my bike, I roll the 
that's pretty much the song with that. I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. You've got a brand new key. It's a great song. That's awesome. And the time has passed for this, but if they had had Britney Spears sing that about seven years ago. Oh, oh. yeah. Here's uh, Stormlarch. <coughs> I'm just saying somebody ought to bring that back and add it to their repertoire. Mm. Come on, Stormy. Number two. Do it. Number two. They seem to make it out of the survey every week or something. The Beastie Boys with the new style. This song sounds so dated, but it's still great. All right, we got to wrap this up here. Ladies and gentlemen, top five new songs of all time. Number one, The Damned in the New Rose. The who? Damned. Excellent. This is a great song. I haven't heard the damn in forever. All right, back after this, we'll wrap it up. Like us at three, Donna Mike at seven. You say there, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. I got a feeling inside of me. It's kind of strange, I can still be seen. I don't know why, I don't know why. All right, we now enter the saddest part of the broadcast and the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. All right, uh, well, let me know when we get close to the end here. Um, I'll tell this Chip's and Up story. It's actually a story in two parts. One of them has to do with Chip, one of the one of them doesn't. Um, the first part of this is just horrifying. It, was I there? No, this is, this is the second one. This is the one you were not at. It okay. was uh, Britney Fox, Enough's Enough, and Bullet Boys who were headlining. And Britney Fox is great. Uh, Enough's Enough was great, and they all sounded great, but, you know, it was not as big a crowd as it had been for L.A. Guns. L.A. Mm -hmm. Guns still has a big following, and this was just not that big of a crowd. The crowd that was there was really into it. Um, so I'll start with the sad part, and then I'll do the, the funny part. Um, the, the crowd that was there was into it, but they're pretty small. So, uh, Britney Fox is playing, and they have their two big hits, Long Way to Love and Girl School. And they finish with Girl School, and, you know, that's the big finish, done, over, finish. You know, da-da-da-da-da, Girl School, ow, hey, we're Britney Fox, thanks for coming out, good night. And, you know, the crowd, which is... At that point, you know, people, as soon as girls' school is done, everybody kind of leaves to hit the bar, to go outside to smoke or whatever. And they're like, you know what, we'll come back later when the Bullet Boys are on. They play girls' school. Everybody leaves but maybe 15 people. The band walks off stage. The lights come up, the house lights, and the house music starts playing. Oh, I remember this story. Those are all indications that the show is over. Uh-huh. House music is playing. It's Janet Jackson or, you know, whatever. The lights are on. The band has left. And so probably 90 seconds goes by. Some guy runs on stage. I don't know who he is. Probably a tour manager, stage manager. He runs on stage, grabs the mic, and says, Do you want to hear one more? There's only like 12 people left in the club at that point. Everybody has left. Gone. And so Dave Zinn and I kind of look we're like, What? The lights are on. The music is playing. Everybody, They've unplugged. They've left. And the tour manager starts trying to lead this chant of, Britney Fox! Oh, my God. Britney Fox! And, there's, and I wanted to die. Oh, I wanted, the, just crawling I wanted the floor to open up and swallow me. And he just, he's like, Portland, I'm not leaving until you get one more from Britney Fox! And there's, there's no one left. There's like ten people in the room. And then he just, and, and again... It, the band, I don't think, wanted to do an encore. Again, the lights are on, the music is playing. And so the, he says the saddest thing I've ever heard on stage. The tour manager, who won't let it go, screams this. He says, I know it's 2007, but I want you to shout like it's 1987. <sighs> and finally, we all kind of go like, 
Did you stay out of sympathy? I did. And Dave and I cut Dave's in and I went, all right, woo, Brittany Fox. Brittany Fox finally walks out. House music still playing. Lights still on. Oh. They finally walk onto the stage because I guess they figured they were expected to play an encore. They plug in. They start playing a Creedence Clearwater Revival cover. About halfway through this encore, the lights finally go off. Just as the lights get turned off, they're done. And then they kind of go, Portland, good night. And then they walk off stage again. By this time, about 12 people were in front of the stage. Oh. The worst thing I have ever witnessed at a show, ever, 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 it was awful. That is so terrible. How long till the music ends? Ends or begins? Begins. Ten seconds. All right. I'll say this real quickly. Chip's enough. Uh, wearing exactly the same outfit, has the big beer gut, though. I mean, so could still sing, but obviously has aged. You know, he's not the rail-thin rock pretty boy he once was. I will say this. Dave and I are watching the show. We look back, chips enough in the full cab driver's hat, the sunglasses leaning against the bar, looking cool. We look back later, he's there, beer in one hand, hot girl on the other arm. We look back later, beer, two girls, one on each arm. We look back at the end of the night, I swear to you, chips enough, beer, three hot girls. We look back later, chips enough, gone. All three girls, gone. There you go. Still a playa. Chips, chips enough, still a mech. All right, uh, there you go. Uh, we want to thank singing and radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum and James Roop, as well as Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Rick Emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970 Solid State Radio. In the newsroom, it's Tim Riley, uh, Christopher Scott screening the calls today, and of course the gatekeeper Dave's in. Like us next. See you all tomorrow. Don't let the bastards grind it down. Watch out for snakes. Bye now. Jump. <laughs>